Hell yeah. Hello everyone, this is Jose Herrera with the O3XX series. Today's special guest is William Anthony Rodriguez. A little bit about William. William graduated high school May 25th, 1999 and left for MCRD San Diego May 27th, 1999. William completed recruit training August 10th of 1999 where he reported to Infantry Training Battalion, School of Infantry West, after receiving his MOS of 0311 Rifleman, he reported to 3rd Battalion, 3rd Marines, where he remained until 2003. After his duty with Victor 3-3, William went to Marine Corps Security Force Regiment, where he remained till January 2004 to October 2005. After serving his billet in Security Force Regiment, he reported to Echo Company, Victor 2-8 completing a tour of duty to Iraq. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Um, first, it's, it, it's good to see you guys again is, um, you know, I was, um, uh, it, it was, it was good to get out to Lejeune and stuff like that to, to see you guys, um, you know, back in Memorial Day and stuff like that. Um, um, you know, I was, um, just, just, uh, elated, I guess you could say just in high spirits, you know, getting back there. I, I, I recently hooked up with some guys from third Marines as well. Um, and it, 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 it was good to see those guys after so many years, you know what I'm saying? It, it was, it was really good. And, uh, you know, I also want to thank you guys for having me on as well. Um, just what you guys are doing like this, this podcast and, you know, just giving guys, you know, the opportunity to basically just, just tell their story, man, you know, how they grew up and, and, um, you know, what was their childhood like and why they joined the Marine Corps and, and, you know, their experiences, you know, while in the Marine Corps and, and whether they're in still or they're out of the Marine Corps, you know, what are they doing now that they're out of the Marine Corps? So um, I appreciate it, man. I really do. <clears throat> no, I was glad that glad you came on. And I, you know, I, I, I know we talked a little bit about it on the phone, you know, I, you know, when we kind of connected and chatted there for a little bit and, um, you know, I was just letting you know how seeing you at Memorial Day and, and not really knowing you or your background or really even when you served or who you were with, you know, and you came up to us, me and Josie and, you know, some other Fox guys and introduce yourself and just kind of kind of wanted to, you know, feel us out and hear hear a little bit about us. And, you know, I told you that that meant a lot to me just knowing because there wasn't a whole lot of the guys from your era with two eight that were there. Um and I just told you how kind of important that was to me to get to meet you. And, you know, right. um, I just respected that a lot. And then, you know, we joked a little bit about, <laughs> about your morning run after you went back, back to base <laughs> and literally ran around the whole base, like whatever, six, seven miles or whatever. You yeah, did. it was I'm about like, 6.8. Right. It, it, it was nice that morning, man. It was about 57 degrees. And I said, dude, I'm, I'm heading out. I'm going to go and do this run. And and uh, it felt good, man. It felt good to get out there. No, I, I, I wanted to come, man. I wanted to come to the reunion. Like I said, I was, you know, I, I noticed a lot of guys were, were you know, were um, a lot of guys from 2-8 and just in the military period were committing, you know, suicide and stuff like that. I started kept hearing stories and I was just like, man, I got to get out there and just show myself, show face. Like I saw some of the guys like Spalding and Doc Ewing and um, Snyder were out there, you know, from when I was in 2-8. 
And then, like I said, I, I knew some of the guys from Fox because um, when I had checked in and, 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 and I'll definitely get there. Like when I was, uh, when I checked into two, eight, I'd be remiss if I didn't go through in detail when I checked into two, eight, but uh, um, you know, I was just, just totally, um, you know, just happy, man, just to be there, bringing my daughter there and, and hanging out with you guys. And she was able to talk to a lot of the other guys there and, uh, you know, talk to Dale's aunt because aunt, he brought his aunt out there. So they were kidding it off. And it was just, it was just awesome, man. And, um, you know, I was just, um, I was happy about that for sure. Yeah, no doubt, man. It was a good time. It, I, and we kind of went, we, we just chatted about like, you know, how you, you can't really explain how that feels like what what that does seeing seeing each other and just knowing that you're around a bunch of dudes who stand for pretty much the same thing and have been through those same experiences just uh right you know it's it the more the more people that can get out to stuff like that the better you know yeah only good comes out of that um yeah and, and it's a small marine corps bro like i said you knew you knew staff sergeant garrett from fox and i knew garrett when he was when he just checked in at third Marines, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, so it's a small core, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you think about it, like a lot of guys from third Marines ended up going out East, you know, after, you know, uh, nine 11 and all that stuff went down. So I'll definitely get into that. I'll get into detail, like what happened around that time frame around nine 11 and how the military was before all that stuff. So yeah, we'll definitely get there and touch on that stuff. Yeah, for sure, man. And uh, anything you I think you definitely have an interesting story, you know, obviously because of that. And we talked and, you know, if you want to just wherever you want to start from, if you want to start from, you know, your life before the Marine Corps and what made you join um, and then just, you know, see where it takes us. This is we're we're really it's just a, a, a flow conversation, man. You know, so there's no agenda here. Just yeah. let let us know about you. We know a little bit about you, but we don't, you know. Yeah just <laughs> no that's all good man uh, yeah no like i said I, I i grew up in south texas uh in a little a town called corpus christi it's about 120 miles south of san antonio so like josie I, i'm sure you're familiar because like i said you you grew up in san antonio for a while if i'm not mistaken right yeah yeah Extra so county, you're kind man. of familiar with the south texas tex-mex you know yeah. hispanics don't panic hispanics don't panic yeah. you know how that goes yeah <laughs> that knows, man that knows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so like and, and like i said dude the, the summers were brutal down here man in freaking south texas dude we, we get we get some hot summers man i mean it gets so hot you see a freaking greyhound bus the dogs on the inside you know what i mean <laughs> it's freaking hot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know that's how hot it gets man uh so yeah it's it's i i grew up down here in south texas and um you know went to school um i grew up in a uh a, a broken home, but not really. I mean, my, my dad took off when I was three. So, um, you know, he was never around. He kind of popped smoke on us, you know, after, uh, after my little sister was born. So, um, you know, it was just my mom and, uh, you know, my, my four sisters and my brother. So like I said, we lived in a very tight, you know, area, you know, like our, our place wasn't very big. So we shared everything. So like, you know, with my dad being gone, you know, we were very self-reliant kids and we shared everything, you know, so like it, I wasn't, I was, um, I wasn't always, um, upset when I had to share things. I, I was a very giving person, even as a young kid. Um, I was a belligerent kid as well too, but, uh, <laughs> you know, with, with my mom, she was a very soft, you know, gentle person. So I really didn't have that fear instilled in me as a kid. You know, I got away with a lot of stuff as a kid, man. Um, you know, I was, um, I never felt culpable at times either. I never felt like anything was my fault. 
So I would get in trouble at school and I was like, oh, my mom's not going to really do anything. But I knew deep down I was hurting her. So like I, I felt bad at times, um, you know, so just getting into my childhood real quick. Um, when I was just kind of fast forward to why I joined the Marine Corps, um, uh, you know, with my dad not being around, like I said, I, I was, um, you know, you know, basically getting away with a lot of stuff, man. And, uh, you know, I would stay up late on school nights, you know, playing, you know, no friendo with the Nintendo, you know what I'm saying? Cause I had no friends really. I was doing that a lot. And then when I was 16, um, you know, I got into, you know, doing a lot of drugs with my friends and drinking a lot and, and, um, you know, just, just doing a lot of stupid things, man. And, uh, when I was 16, I, I got busted for, for marijuana, my friends and I, um, and then like nobody fessed up to it. So I did time in County for like almost like 36 hours and I got bailed out. And then, you know, I got my mother kicked out of where we were living at. And then I think that was probably the best thing to happen to me because at that point, you know, I went to go stay with my grandmother and, um, and one night I'm watching TV and I flipped the channels and there's this movie on about a bunch of guys just, um, going through all this physical rigor. And I'm like, what is this movie? Right. And I later on, I found out it was full metal jacket. You know what I mean? I was watching full metal jacket without even realizing it. And then, um, I see these guys doing all this physical stuff. I see this, this, this guy just in their faces, right. <laughs> just ripping them up. And, um, and I, and, and, and when I found out what the movie was, I said, man, like I, I, I can do that. Like, I want to do that. Like I was drawn to that. Like I was intrigued by it. So, um, you know, after, um, you know, my, my, my drug possession, you know, I, I really considered joining the, the, the military. It wasn't the Marine Corps just yet, but um, so, you know, that, that, that year during school, they asked if anyone wanted to take the ASVAB and get out of class. So I said, yeah, I'll take it just to get out of class. So I went to the library, took the ASVAB, passed it or whatever. And then all these recruiters started coming at me. And, the, and this army guy came up to me first, this uh, guy from New York, and he was like, you know, trying to sell me the army and stuff like that. And, and it wasn't bad. I mean, I wasn't, but I just wasn't really interested in joining the army at the time. A lot of people were joining that my senior year. And then the Marine Corps guy, I talked to the Marine Corps guy and I was just blown away by that uniform, man. I was like, man, I bet this dude gets all the hotties. You know what I'm saying? I was just blown away by that uniform. Uh, so I, I took interest in the Marine Corps. Um, and then I told my recruiter about my, my drug possession. So he did a lot for me, man. He, he, he went to the courthouse, got all that squared away. I was able to enlist uh, my, my, before my senior year. And then uh, my senior year, I was gung-ho, man. I was gung-ho. I was going to all the pulley functions. Um, you know, I was running every day, like all the time. You know, I was getting squared away, like on the general orders and like learning military time and all that stuff, man. Just, just getting squared away on that so that when I went to boot camp, um, you know, I wouldn't be falling behind. Um, so fast forward to, uh, I graduated in May of, uh, uh, May 25th, like 1999. Um, and then I told my, I, I told my recruiter, he came to my graduation. I said, I want to get out of here as soon as possible. Like, I don't want to wait, just get me out of here. So he ended up getting me out of here like that Sunday. So May 27th, like I'm on the plane headed to boot camp. like didn't even waste time. And it was awesome, man. I said goodbye to my family and I just burned off. And, you know, that, that obviously just leads to boot camp, man, which, which boot camp gets funny here, man, because it was like, you know, I was away from home for the first time. Right. And I'm on the plane with this kid named uh, Winsky. He's from San Antonio because the MEPS is in like for Texas, 
like you go to San Antonio for the MEPS, like cause it's kind of broken up because Texas is a pretty big state. And, uh, you know, the guys from the South go to San Antonio and they go to MEPS, you know, they get all their paperwork and whatever you fly to San Antonio and go to San Diego. Um, so it's him and I, and then we, we, we get to boot camp in San Diego. And then from there, man, it's just, you know, first time away from home, you know, and now I'm starting to understand, you know, how different kids grow up differently, right? Because boot camp was just hilarious, man. It was like, it was just um, getting off the bus. Um, it was just like you say, it was like blitzkrieg. You know what I'm saying? It was just speed, 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 you know, minus the, the you know, the, the pervitin, you know, the drugs, you know what I'm saying? We didn't have any of that. Like, you know, like in World War II, when they were drugging up a lot of those, those, you know, Germany, a lot of their soldiers were drugged up, but, but, you know, that's what it was like, man. It was, um, you know, it was, um, you know, just, you know, just basically getting off the bus, getting yelled at, and, um, you know, going through that uh, initial phase of boot camp, getting the uniforms, you know, uh, getting your head shaved. Um, you, you know, you guys know what it's like, like just, just going through that. And um, do you, what, what, uh, and what, next, go ahead. I'm sorry, what year was that when you actually shipped out? 99. 99 it was may of, okay yeah it was may of 99 so it was definitely before 9-11 um and all that stuff so it was it was around the time when when clinton clinton was still president at the time so um you know reagan was pretty big on the military and he beefed it up a lot and um you know i think like general barrow and general kelly were commandants at that time and then bush senior kind of honored that military you know might you know but then when clinton came in in 92 you know, there was a big reduction in the military. Like a lot of guys were getting out. There was early outs. You could get out like at 15, 16 years. So the military wasn't as big as it was when I came in. So it wasn't like they were hurting for people. Right. So like they were kind of picky, like back then, like you had to have like a decent ass, like no tasks, none of that, like nothing serious. So I was able to get in the military, like no problem after I got my, uh, my, uh, my misdemeanor, my, my drug possession out of the way. So yeah, it, it was around that time. Bush wasn't president yet. Um, so, um, yeah, so so get to boot camp and, um, you know, finally get into the um, to my, um, you know, platoon where I'm going to be with the drone instructors. They do all that. They're yelling at you and stuff like that. And that's the first time I realized that a lot of dudes were, were you know, grew up differently because a lot of guys were just freaking out. Like initially, you know, the first couple of days were just, um, um you know, just being yelled at and, 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 uh, you know, the drone instructors were just fast and the furious, man. And, and, and guys were all like slow in the curious, like, Oh my God, like, you know, what, what the freak is going on? And, and I was so ready for bouquet, man. I was running like all the physical stuff was like, no problem. And, um, you know, guys were just freaking out, man. And, 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 and we had guys that were, um, like, like during the first couple of days when we finally met our drone instructors, there was a guy who um, they kept calling him freaking uh, uh, stoplight. And I'm like, why are they calling him stoplight? Because this dude's teeth were so yellow. Dude, when he smiled, dude, all the cars slowed down. <laughs> you know, like it, it, his teeth were yellow, man. And the drone instructors picked up on that. And um, they were just like, you know, like, like during a, a you know, when we do hygiene and we're basically naked with like towels and stuff like that, you know, they started calling them stoplight, stoplight. And, you know, every time we do like uh, runs or whatever, like he knew his role, he knew to get out there and be stoplight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, it was hilarious, man. 
and, and and guys were just freaking out in boot camp man like just straight up I, I didn't understand that and uh so just just things like that and we had another kid um who was from like thailand or something like that he was from like vietnam and and um you know he pronounced his name like pinsonbath and i'm like pinsonbath pinsonbath like everyone was just saying pinsonbath all the time and you know we're doing drill one day and um you know, we're doing inspections and all that stuff. And uh, this first sergeant, big guy, right, comes up right to him. And this guy's like, Pinson Bat's like, he's a little dude, right? And he comes up, you know, gives him his weapon, sounds off, you know, recruit Pinson Bat, you know, yada, yada, yada. And the first sergeant's like, pissing in the bath. You know, he called him pissing the bath. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, man. And we're in formation, man, just trying not to crack up. And it was just things like that in boot camp. From then on, like guys were just getting roasted, like just for little things like that, whether stop sign or piss in the bath, you know, things like that. Like I was just, I was just laughing all the time in boot camp, dude. And and because guys were freaking out and crying because they were worried about not passing like the PFT or the initial strength test or like things like that. So like that, that that was boot camp, man. Really, and um, one of the things about like during that time like before the war like they had I remember in boot camp distinctively there was a time when we were all like doing like uh, we were all in a classroom and they made they put everyone's head down I don't know if you guys went through this I doubt it but um they put everyone's head down on the table and they said hey we just come under attack and we're going to war so if anyone's not ready to go to war like just raise your hand and and they did that like while we were in the classroom and um you know and next thing you know you hear the drill start the drill instructors going no like you know guys were like you know freaking out i guess because uh but they were just messing with us at the time you know what i'm saying um like i said this was before like the uss cole got hit this is before 9 11 so like there was really nothing going on except i want to say like maybe kosovo and like whatever was going on in east timor at the time like around 99 like it was well, i don't know if it was if it was specifically that time frame but there was nothing really serious going on so they were just kind of challenging us on that to see like they were doing a gut check like during that time and um you know those guys ended up getting yelled at and um you know getting a real good gut check you know so that that was one of the things about boot camp during that time um i don't know if you did this josie or not but we we, we went to a baseball game man uh, uh, in san diego did you guys go to a baseball game at all when you were out in so, Cali? so we lucked out man we didn't get we had heard stories you know you know dudes getting you know to go to these baseball games and then you know getting like chicken fries and all this shit yeah and, uh, they used to get thrashed but uh platoon 3201 and i don't think in any anyone in, in india company got to go to a game um but, but you I, heard about it right oh yeah and you know you used to run around the freaking you know the when you do your pft around you know like like circling the airport like there's right. like the fields right there um but yeah i don't we never got to go to one of those uh, we lucked out man so but they did do a gut check on us they uh okay like t training day like three or maybe like six or something right and they brought us all in to do that and they're like you're you're all getting deployed right, right now Jordan. yeah okay so they did do it <laughs> yeah did they do it out yeah. east Polly at all did they do that out east when you were in boot camp Polly? i do remember the the head down thing but i feel like that was like initially after getting off the bus and stuff before you we went and got uniforms they did that while we're just in like a holding room because i guess you know they really wanted to divvy up (laughs) the the weaklings but um right we didn't have that i mean i don't know if either of you have ever actually been to paris island but there's there's nothing 
there's nothing good out there. I mean, it's, it's basically, <laughs> there, it's, there's not, it's just this little, you know, this little Island, there's nothing. It's just sand flat, you know, a bunch of bugs and, and pissed off dudes there. Cause it has to be a terrible duty station. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. If you're a DI or even a range coach or anything <laughs> out there, like there's, there's nothing there. There's what Beaufort, which is the closest town, but bars and, you know, uh, yeah. your standard military base, there's not any, any decent attractions. So, um, but yeah, I loved it though. Kind of like you, you know, you have a good attitude about, about it. And if you get humor from like seeing other people's misery, even though you're, <laughs> you're supposed to be your, your buddies and stuff, it's just great. Yeah. And like you were saying, like just the shit, these drill instructors come up with is, is just next, like, it's so <laughs> hilarious, but I guess they have to because they probably. I, I would just imagine as a B billet that not being, it would be fun probably initially messing with the kids, but their schedules and just how often they had to work and the hours and stuff like that, you know, they're just trying to have fun. So making fun of kids is probably yeah, pretty, dude, pretty yeah, entertaining. Was, yeah, there was one guy named uh, uh, there was one kid that was always crying all the time riding home and. Uh, I just said, dude, stop with the issues and eat tissues, man, and just freaking <laughs> suck it up, man. Because <laughs> he was just always freaking crying about something. And he, he, it was funny because, like, we were going to chow one time, and they always, like, I don't know, for some reason, they asked guys who were married to raise their hands, I guess brown baggers or whatever. So he raised his hand, and the DI was walking behind him. Dude, he knocked the smokey off the DI, oh, bro. Shit. Oh. It was freaking hilarious, bro. And and this guy was already nervous as it was, dude. He's just freaking. And those drone instructors, man, they're like coiled cobras, man. They're, they're just ready to strike at the slightest irregularity, bro. Anything that's off, like, they're just, they're on you, man. And and this guy was like, poor guy, man. The whole the whole time at boot camp, issues that need tissues. I kept telling him that. I said, and but he ended up graduating. He just... He was just like nervous about everything, man. Like, I mean, I get it. I mean, you're away from home, you're homesick, you know, you're probably not used to getting yelled at like that. And like yeah. I said, boot camp was just like, just speed, like do everything with intensity and do it the way they want you to do it. You know what I'm saying? But just do it with speed, like do it with purpose. And that's all boot camp was. And like I said, I was all about doing the obstacle courses and, and the, you know, and the PFT and all that stuff. I was running like, dude, like, 16 minute three miles back then dude i was like 150 i was light bro i was so flying did you I, I went before you went to boot camp did you know like your mos were you o3 package or, or? It, it, yeah it, it was o3 option option right yeah so you so yeah. you and i always thought about that too because you think about dude i'm i was kind of like you going to boot camp like working out heavy trying to get in good shape learn as much as i can because i know what i'm what i'm you know the tap kind of thought i had an idea of the task in front right. of me. like i'm going i want to be infantry me too so I'm, I'm trying to get squared away right but it, you kind of got to think like and it made me think like these kids showing up pissing a bed at night like having <laughs> having having night yeah. terrors and stuff and like really can't hack what it what it's all about it's like did you even what did you sign up to do here right. you know because you're you're in a platoon with everybody that's doing every job in the marine corps it you know, it right. doesn't matter. You're not just with only grunts or grunts. only, you know, mechanics or whatever. Like what did right. these, what did these kids that really were just so ill-prepared think they were getting themselves into? 
They did right. no re they did no research on anything. And they just showed up thinking it was like a vacation trip or something. <laughs> right. Like a summer no. camp. No, dude. <laughs> like, no, man. Oh, they might have had crappy recruiters, I guess, because my my yeah. mine, mine pretty much pointed me in the right direction. He says, You better start running. You better start learning general orders and just kind of just just don't be the one that falls behind, man, because then you're gonna be singled out. And um, like I said, we had a lot of guys that were just um, like I said. You know, the, the the pace was fast and furious, but a lot of these guys were slow and the curious, so they couldn't keep up with tempo. So, like, the drone instructors would have to take them off to the side, kind of yell at them, get them up to par and stuff like that. So, you know, we had guys like that, you know what I mean? But um, for, for the most part, I mean, boot camp was just hilarious, man, you know? Yeah, for sure. And what's interesting, too, is that your time, like, being there in 99, that's before, that's before all this Mothers Against America. Yeah. And, you know, we talked the drill instructors with us were still physical they were still hands-on oh yeah but, i got hit yeah but i'm sure in in your time that era like that's before any of this so they're really they're really kind of kind of putting it to you guys i'm sure yeah. every everybody says oh we had it hard we had it hard but it's like that was before people started crying about their feelings you know because they're you know there wasn't all these organizations trying to trying to make shit less difficult for, right. You know, and I think kids. that happened because a kid drowned in the pool, I believe. I think this was after I went to boot camp. Something happened where a recruit died at boot camp or something like that. I want to say like, no, I, I actually it was West Coast or East Coast. It, I, I actually met the guy. It was a customer at our, our business. And uh, right. he was actually in a sister platoon to the platoon that went and they took a out behind the rifle ranges at Paris Island. There's it's all swampy, marshy, uh, you know, areas right. and some DIs were hazing some kids, you know, taking them on a night run. And I don't think it wasn't like a full platoon size, but there was like several dudes. And I think, I, I don't know how many kids end up drowning. I know at least one for sure. He, he so actually, it was East coast. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was Paris Island. I'm sure, you know, San Diego's had some fatalities as well, but I think that's kind of really what turned the tide on. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, oh, I got hit, bro. Like I remember when guys were moving, <laughs> like if you like try to scratch, boom, you felt that arm coming down, bro. And drill instructor right in your face, you know, then I say move, boom, you know, like just, yeah, I definitely got hit, man. So, yeah. um, so and that was, was still shining. Y'all were still shining up, but boots, right? Y'all had uh, those little. Oh yeah. 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 See that, that, that was awesome, <laughs> man. You know, you know, that was when you had to actually iron on your EGA and, you know, you had to shine your boots and all that stuff. I mean, I think you guys, it's funny because like we experimented with the new like stuff around 2002, 2003, when the new cami, like when the digitals were coming out and then like the boots came out with it. And then like everyone just started transitioning to the new stuff. So like we, we used to have to like do ironing on the EGA was probably like the best of all that. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was awesome to do that stuff, you know, when you got closer to graduation and stuff like that, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. yeah, so, so that was pretty much boot camp, man. I mean, it was, it was wild, you know, it had its moments, you know, <laughs> you know, where, you know, you're just uh, freaking out. Cause like you're, you're away and you're around other kids that, um, you know, are from different parts of the country who, um, you know, are just, just different. Like you realize how, how different kids grow up, you know, how different people grow up. Um, and then after that, like it was uh, SOI West, like you go on leave for like 10 days or whatever. And then um, I graduated around 99 of August. Um, and then 
uh, took the 10 day leave, show up to SOI West. And it was a big class, man. And, and I know you've been out West, uh, you know, Josie, uh, you know, out in the, um, uh, the Pendleton area uh, for SOI. Um, we had a huge class, dude, a big, big class. And, and SOI was like four weeks back then. It wasn't very long. Um, I don't know what it is now. I've heard they extended it to like, I don't know, a month or two now. I, I, they're, they're doing a lot of changes right now in the Marine Corps. I haven't been keeping was, up, but I've heard some stories. It was 52 days, I think, whenever I went through. It was 52, what? 52 days. Yeah, I oh, want okay. to say so. I thought it was around like 11, I want to say around 11, 11 or 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. You're talking about SOI, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we. It was, it was a while for, I mean, it was almost as long as boot camp, I remember. I mean, I... I thought I remember, but no, it was it wasn't very long when I was in. Two months. Yeah, it was around there, like five or six weeks. I mean, it's been a while, but I know it wasn't like. But still, at the same time, though, there's no there's no war. You know, this is pre pre nine eleven still. So you know, that's probably why they they lengthened it. Um, but yeah, think things were different a little different back then. So is that where, I mean, they still, I'm sure did the same thing. Like that's where you, you, uh, decide what, or they decide what your primary MOS is going to be. Right. Right. SOI is where they started to, to everyone started to break off. And like I said, I wanted to be just, an, I mean, I didn't really care. Like I said, like this, you're going to be an 11. I said, okay, I'll, I'll be an 11. You know, guys were going motorman and stuff like that. Um, you know, it was just like, okay, you're going with your group. And, and I just, I knew I wanted to be a grunt. I wanted to be an O3 for sure. So I really didn't care, you know, where they put me. So, and I had a buddy of mine who was an 11 that, you know, we were kind of tight, you know what I mean? So I just said, okay, we'll just go be an 11. And my buddy Martinez, he was in a three, two. And then I had some other buddies who were, ended up going to three, one, like these guys were like in Phantom Fury. Some of them got out. Some of them are green berets now. Some of them went to be contractors and stuff like that. Like just, so, but that, that class was huge. So after, after that, like the class was so big that half the class went to two, four and stayed there. And half the class went to Victor three, three out in Kaneohe. So in the beginning, they were like giving everyone choice, but everyone wanted to stay in Cali. So at that point they had to say, okay, now we're going to break the class up because no one wanted to go out to Hawaii at the time. So I got picked uh, to go out to Victor three, three out in Kaneohe. So, I mean, it was cool. Like I figured, okay, you know, we'll go out West. We'll go way out West towards, you know, Hawaii. And I've never been to Hawaii. So, um, so that was it after about maybe October of 99, uh, you know, two, four picked up quickly. Like their boots took off, like after graduation, they were gone, but we had to stay another week because we had to get plane tickets and all the logistical stuff. So, we were there and SOI was different, you know, because like we didn't have cell phones back then. You know what I mean? Like back in the nineties, I remember because like the matrix was coming out, like the original matrix and the mummy were watching that. It was cool, man. We had the old like Superman, like telephone boots. You know what I mean? The real long ones when you have to go in and like use a calling card and stuff like that. Like there wasn't like a bunch of like cell phones, like, you know, everyone charging up. So like I see pictures, I see memes like that sometimes on social media where like a bunch of Marines were like charging their phones and stuff like that. Like, it just wasn't like that back then. Like you actually didn't have to worry. You know what I mean? You didn't have to worry so much about the phone going off all the time. Like you actually had time to freaking just, you know, be with the dudes that you were with and, you know, watch movies. And like, when you were ready to call home, you just called home. You know, it wasn't like every five seconds looking at your freaking phone. You know what I mean? So I was like, I don't mind. Yeah, exactly. You know, I call home when I called home and I called my mom. Hey, I'm good. I'll call you when I graduate SOI. I'll call you when I'm in Hawaii. That's it. You know, that was it. 
and we were young, dude. Like, you know, we did a lot of stupid stuff. You know, we went out on leave, you know, during the weekends and, you know, just did a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Like you're free for the first time. You finally have freedom and you're able to do whatever you want, man. And just, just don't screw up. You know what I mean? Um, just don't screw up and, and just get back when you're told. And, um, it was, it was fun, man. Um, so that was SOI pretty much. Yeah. So how was that? What do they call you guys? Are, are is that the lava dogs out there? Right. Right. That's third Marines. The, yeah. Our third Marines, all third Marines is I've just yeah, heard, I've just heard that phrase like lava dogs. And I'm like, Oh, I know they're talking <laughs> about Hawaii, but I didn't know if it was a specific unit or if it was just all the third Marines. Well, I think three, three in particular, but I mean, I, I I'm not too sure. I mean, I, I want to say maybe it's all the third Marines in general, but, but, um, um, like I said, October of 99, I, I ship out to Victor three, three with all my dudes, all my friends that I'm going to be with. And these guys were coming back from like Australia at the time. Um, they were coming back from like something called, it was like an operation called Croc 99. And all my seniors were, they, they, they were, we showed up first before they got back. So we were able to settle in. Like we didn't do like, we didn't get to like do the initial like boots, you know, like when they're basically hazing. <laughs> and back then, dude, like back then, like badass status was like going on a deployment to Okinawa. Like it wasn't like when you guys, you guys were in, you got back, you had combat actions, like you know, like the boots that came in, like they were already like, damn, these guys got cars. You know what I mean? So you guys had, you know, badass status already. Like these guys, you know, back then, like just going on a, like a UDP deployment to like Okinawa and doing like JWTC or like stuff like that. Like you were like, you were it, like you were the top dude. So they got back from that. And it was just like, when they found out I, back then we had the barracks where like they were inside like a hallway, like they didn't, we didn't have catwalks, you know what I'm saying? So you would walk in the door and like all the, like the doors were like inside, like a hallway, you know what I mean? Like indoors. Um, we had catwalk barracks, but they were on the other side of the base, but we were inside where like, if you like would just, you know, scream, like everyone would hear it, you know, down the hall. So like, that was just crazy because they get back from, you know, deployment and uh, it's just like, you hear the word boots and everyone just, they just started hazing everybody, man. Yeah, we were yeah. cleaning, we were cleaning the laundry rooms. We were just like, I came back from McDonald's and like one of these Lance Corporals, dude, this senior Lance Corporal, he just knocked the freaking McDonald's out of my hand. And I was just like, dude, like this is, see, this is it, bro. Because back then there was no war. So like, you didn't like, you know, when, when you guys were in, like, there's no time to be doing that, man. Like, because you've got to quickly, you got to quickly, you know, get tight with these guys. Cause you're doing the workup and you're going to Ramadi, you're going to Afghanistan. Like you need time. You, 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 you have to basically like inosculate, like you have to be one, you have to intertwine quickly with these guys because you're getting ready to go down range with these guys. But back then it was like, that's all it was, which is hazing, 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 you know? And it was just like, you're a boot and, and you're going to do this. You're going to do that. So, um, so yeah, th that was it for the first, uh, let me see, three, three, uh, 2000, we go on our first uh, deployment to uh, Okinawa. And uh, it was around maybe February of 2000. We, we go to Okinawa. And uh, then we get on ships at White Beach there in Okinawa. And then we do like a, like a float and we go to like Philippines. We go to, you know, Thailand, we go to Indonesia. We hit all those countries, Singapore. And it was great, man. Like it was great doing like jungle training with all those, you know, you know, you know, uh, countries out there, like their dudes, like they, they knew their stuff, man. Cause that's all they did. They knew how to live out there. 
they were cooking for us. They were showing us all that stuff. So it was great getting out there with those guys. Um, we were floating out there around the time the USS Cole got hit out in Yemen. I think it was around, it was around that time in 2000. So we would see like pirates like come up near. So like they would have to take precautions and stuff like that. And then uh, we ended that deployment um, like late 2000. We ended up going back to mainland Japan to Camp Fuji. And we did some training out there, got to climb up on the mountain and all that stuff. And then um, that was basically those deployments there. Uh, from then I cross-decked from Kilo Company 3-3 and went to Lima Company after that deployment because they had some guys jumping, you know, back and forth. And I think it was that way with you guys too, because after I left 2-8, I noticed guys like for the uh, 09 deployment, like some guys from Echo went to like golf and, and, and stuff like that. I know, like, I know you guys know Ortiz, right? From Echo. I think he was, uh, you know, Ortiz, right, Josie? Her face is coming from my mind. No, I'm, I'm here. I, I'm trying to think. That yeah, might... he, he was a guy from Echo that went to Fox Company. He was like, he's Puerto Rican. You know what I'm saying? I feel like if I saw the name yeah. sounds for me, I feel like if I saw his picture, I would. Yeah. Cause I know some guys from echo cross deck to uh, like, I, I don't know if it was for the Ramadi deployment or for the Afghanistan deployment. Like some guys were basically bouncing like to other. Companies. I think, I think that's something they do. I think that's something they just, just do because I think that happened for before both deployments before oh, the okay. Ramadi. And I don't know if it happened for you guys in 2011, but. I remember dudes like yeah, a bunch of they, dudes. They did. They were swapping that. around. Yeah. They just yeah. do that shit. I think they to fucked it all up too, man. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of mess up that 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 unit tightness and stuff like that. You know, guys yeah. got to go around and bounce them around. The um, only senior like senior guys that were I think Latinos that I remember were uh, a big guy named Corporal Perez. Uh -huh. He's always on my shit. And then <laughs> Lance Corporal Frere. <laughs> and he kind of like took me in like a big brother phone whenever me and some of the other uh Hispanic Marines got, got to it. Yeah. Fleet. He's like, yeah, man, he took us in, man. He took me, Gutierrez, and a few other guys in. He schooled us <laughs> up. <laughs> He's like, yeah, man, yeah. I like, I like Fred, man. He, he was a good dude, man. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, you know, 3 3, like, I was like one of very few like Hispanic guys. It was just like a bunch of white boys, man. It was just like me and like, I don't think there was any, you know what, honestly, remembering now, I don't know if there were any, there was like maybe one or two like black guys out there in three, three. And it was just like maybe me and um, I think Bergicia was from like, he grew he was like Puerto Rican and that was pretty much it, bro. Like all my dudes were just, you know, and not that there's anything wrong with that. I was just, I'm just being specific about that time. You know what I'm saying? It was just, that's just the way it was. I was, um, you know, I, I, was I was tight around. with everybody. Yeah. I was tight with everybody. Now, as I say, I always joke around that first Marine division is practically Mexico, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, everyone's Mexican there, man. It's true, man. Like, I got buddies. There's a buddy here in my hometown in Corpus. Like, he was in Kilo 3-1 during Fury and stuff like that. Like, he's from my hometown. And, and we hook it up every now and then. Um, you know, I, I, I talked to him a while back. And, like, every now and then I'll, you know, he'll make me T-shirts and stuff like that. You know, Fallujah T-shirts or whatever. But, um. But yeah, man, um, that, that, that first deployment basically ended on, you know, on float. Um, and then uh, I go, I cross deck to Lima company and then uh, fast forward to, um, 
what was it? Uh, I think it was May of 2001. We go back to Australia and we're, we're doing like joint up. We're doing joint training with like the Air Force PJs. We're like Green Berets. We're like basically like doing like hits on like compounds and stuff like that. So like, you know, it was great. It was great training down there. Get back to Hawaii, um, September, September timeframe. And I'm fast forwarding now to like before my second deployment uh, with, with third Marines, um, you know, it's three in the morning uh, and everyone knows where they were during 9-11, man. Um, you know, it, it was, it was uh, obviously we were in different time zones. So it was real early in the morning. It was like three in the morning when 9-11 went down. And um, my buddy, Banali, who ended up going to 3-1 as well, he was in 3-1 during Fury as well. Um, he was on duty that day. And uh, all of a sudden, like, there, you just hear these loud noises, like, get up, get up, you know, like, just get the hell up. And, and like, it, and initially, I'm thinking, okay, it's three in the morning. It's a piss test. You know what I'm saying? Everyone came back, you know, it's a piss <laughs> test. You know what I mean? That's what I thought it was. You know what I'm saying? Initially, I thought that's what it was. And then everyone, like, he's banging on everybody's door. And then, like, all of a sudden, all the staff and CEOs are coming back in. And everyone's turning on the TV, man. And we're watching, you know, you know, these buildings fall. And it was just like, I, I never forget that day, man. I mean, the adrenaline, like the, 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 you know, the, the energy that was going on that day, like everyone got up, you know, all, everyone was told to get back on base because they had to lock down the bases immediately. You know what I'm saying? Everyone that, that lived off base, they, you know, we had beepers back then because we were doing like Marine security element where everyone had a beeper. So, you know, you would have to hurry up and get back. You know what I'm saying? That's just the way it was before, you know, cell phones and all that stuff took over. So uh, everyone got back um, and, uh, you know, I didn't sleep the rest of the day. And I, we just kept watching, you know, the images over and over and over. And I remember feeling like really choked up, you know, that day, like, man, like, like we're going, like, this is it. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, um, that, that, that time was, it, it was, it was totally like, you could tell a lot of guys were like ready to go. Like it was like, there was this, things were changing at that time. Like everyone was being cool. Like the seniors at that point were like, like things were changing. You could tell like, you know, there was no more like stupid nonsense going on because you knew that, Hey, we were probably going to get orders soon um, to go somewhere. So, um, so we ended up going on that second deployment. And for some reason, um, first and second Marines were the ones that basically, you know, were able to go to like Afghanistan, like in 2002 and, um, you know, Oh three, like during the initial invasion, like it was first and second that really got to see everything. Like third Marines was basically given orders to go back to the Pacific and basically do what we did, you know, on our first deployment, which, you know, a lot of guys didn't understand at the time because everyone was getting gassed up. Everyone was working out. Like everyone was like cooperative. Like it was just like, there was this big, you know, energy going on where like even the seniors were like, Hey, you know, we're going to go work out. Like it was, it was, it was tight, bro. Like I, I, I really felt the love back then. And we all felt like we were going to go. And if we were going to go, I wanted to go with my seniors, man, because they were, they were squared away. They were tough dudes, man. They were hardcore. Um, but it just didn't work out that way. So like third Marines basically was just assigned at that time to go back out to the Pacific, back to Okinawa and just do that whole thing again. So it was, um, it was disappointing for a lot of guys, you know, so, you know, that, that's basically how it was from like, uh, from nine 11 on to about 2002. Yeah. That's basically how that was. Damn. So 
so after that, I mean, is that is that when you left? I mean, or when at one point did you re-enlist? So okay, yeah, that that that, that was after. Um, at the time, you know, I was um with my um with my daughter's mom at the time. Like we had met in high school, and I was gonna get into this part too because you know it's part of the reason why I stayed in, but part of me wanted to get out as well. Um, before 9-11, before all that happened, like I was with my daughter's mom and we had met in high school and everything. And I had said, okay, I'm going to go do my four years and we're going to start a family, get out. All that stuff was, was, that was the plan before 9-11, you know, because we weren't married and there's no way she was going to come out to Hawaii. There was no way I, Hawaii was expensive dog. You yeah. know what I mean? Like there was no way I was going to support her on like E2 pay. Yeah. We either had to get married and get on housing, but that just, at that point, like it wasn't the plan at the time, you know what I'm saying? So when 9-11 went down, you know, a lot of the guys were, because we didn't go because third Marines basically didn't get to be involved in anything kinetic until, uh, until one, three was a part of Phantom Fury, like one, three, one, eight, uh, three, five, three, one. And then those two army battalions that were there that basically pushed through and did all that. So by that time, dude, it was just like uh, reenlistment came up for me uh, about June of 03. And I spoke to then my girlfriend at the time. She's like, well, you know, you promised, you know, we were going to get married, start a family. What are you going to do? I said, well, if I reenlist, then I definitely want to, you know, go somewhere where I can deploy. You know what I'm saying? And then she's like, well, how are we going to do that? You're going to be gone again. And you know, I wanted to have a kid with it, all that stuff, like all the stuff we had talked about before 9-11. So I was in like a position where I had to basically, you know, make a choice. You know what I'm saying? Were you going to say something, bro? No, huh? Oh, okay. So like, um, I went to go talk to the career planner. Um, and he's like, well, and I told him my situation. I said, look, I want to stay in, but you know, I also want to marry, you know, I want to get married. And, and, and is it possible to, to go do a B billet and then just get on a deploying unit after so long? And he's like, well, you know, if you're going to do that, then I can get you on what's called cadre duty. And, um, so what that was like out in Chesapeake, like where fast companies at, like they have like this, uh, specific command, like under Marine security, security force regiment, where you basically, um, go to school and they basically send you out to like different Navy bases all over the country and all over the world. And you basically train up like the, like the Navy commands there. So the like different Navy, you know, bases will send their people, you know, from like all their different commands and they'll come through our course and we'll train them up like on the Mossberg and on the, on the pistol do vehicle searches and all that stuff, like through checkpoints. Like, and, and in other words, if the, if that base were to go, you know, on lockdown, like another nine 11, these guys have some sort of training and all that happened because of nine 11, you know what I'm saying? Right. Right. So that cadre duty was, you know, kind of invented for that. So Marines could go to that school, get trained up, go to Navy bases, train them up. And then that's what it was. So I, you know, so the career planner says, well, why don't you do that? You know what I'm saying? You can do like a quick year or two year B bill. And I said, okay, let's do it. So I ended up getting married, um, had my kid. And then around, around early 05, like the commander from Chesapeake, uh, cause that's where the command was out in Chesapeake where fast company and all that area was came down and said, Hey, you know, one nine is getting ready to reactivate. And, and at that time, one nine was like out of the, out of the game since like Vietnam, I think. I don't know, like they had deactivated like Suicide Charlie, all that stuff. And, um, you know, he, he accosted me. He approached me and said, hey, you know, are you down? I said, hey, I'm, I'm down. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to get out. So I had never been to Lejeune. So at that time when they ended up disbanding cadre duty, 
You know what I'm saying? So in other words, the Navy started to take over for their own basis. So it was around that time frame, and I ended up getting orders to uh, Alpha 1-9. And, um, and at that time, my kid was like maybe a few months old. So I was able to get married, have my kid, and then basically go back to the fleet. You know what I'm saying? So it worked out in that aspect. Right. And then I get to 1-9, uh, and dude, there's nobody there, man. There's nobody there. There's like a first sergeant who just so happened to be one of my true instructors, dude. <laughs> and dude, it's tough, bro. I'm like, geez, man, I can never get a freaking break, you know, from these guys. And and there's like uh, a couple of boots and a couple of short timers, man, you know? I'm like, geez, man, here I go again with boot camp. And, you know, it was just like, Jesus, you know, can't get away from this guy. And um, so that was crazy. So, this is around, I, I get to Lejeune probably around early October, maybe mid-October. And I'm sitting around there, man. There's nobody there. And I'm like, what's going on for Sergeant? Like, you know, when do you expect, you know, a boot drop? They're like, well, we're not going to get boots because RCT5 was building up. That was 2816 and 32. They're going to get the boot drops. So you're basically going to be here. You're going to have to wait for the next boot drop. And then by the time you go to CACs and yada, 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 I'm like, I don't want to be here. You know what I'm saying? Like I was all about Alpha one nine. And I said, well, can I go back to division and, you know, basically get on the next, the next rodeo out. So, you know, and he's like, I guess, you know what I'm saying? If you, that's what you want I said, Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be here pulling base duty and just like doing nothing. You know what I'm saying? So I go back to division and I, and at that time, two eight was coming back from the Mew, if I'm not mistaken, they were coming back from like the Mew at that time. This was like late November, like maybe early December of 05. So like they go on post-deployment leave and stuff like that. So like, I'm basically in like this holding tank, like on base where like, it's like an open squad bay type and I'm there for a while. And I finally go back to division and I talk to the commander there and he's like, okay, well, RCT five's building up and you know, you can pick one, eight, you know, one, six or three, two. And I had some guys with me that ended up going to Fox company. I remember there was a couple of guys that some boots that came with us that were, that were there with me. And, um, you know, they asked me first, like, where do you want to go? You want to go to two, eight, one, six or three, two. And I just said two, eight, like I just, it just came out. I just said two, eight. And then the other guys that were with me said two, eight, two, eight. So, um, we check into two, eight, all of us. And initially we're all going to Fox company. We all get the Fox company at first. I remember that. And then some gunny came out of nowhere and said, Hey, you, you know, Sergeant Rod, you're going to echo. And then those guys stayed at Fox company for that. And, um, and that's how that worked out, you know, around the 05 timeframe. So, so at this um, point you, you were already E5 at this point. Yeah. I picked up E5 in 2003. Like I, you know, when it came to rank, like I, I picked up when I was supposed to pick up, like I never got NJP'd or, you know, first class PFT, you know, shot expert on the rifle, shot expert on the pistol, like just, you know, everything was good. Like as yeah. far as that aspect, you know, there was never any problem with that you know cutting scores were good picked up corporal in like two years picked up sergeant right at four years Damn. so i was a sergeant when i checked into two eight like for sure and then um just to you know um i ended up getting like after that 06 deployment i was in zone for staff sergeant um because i had went to sergeant's course like before like oh, um before we deployed to that 06 deployment like me and another guy named sergeant york and, uh, th I mean, there was some, definitely some good sergeants, you know, there at that time at two eight. So, you know, they send a bunch of us to sergeant's course and just kind of zip through that real quick. 
so that I could have my fit reps and everything in order and have that sergeant's course there, you know, before you pick up staff sergeant, like you want to have those schools underneath, did all my MCIs and stayed out of trouble, good conduct and all that stuff. Like all that was squared away. Like I never really, I wasn't really a troublemaker. Like I goofed around a lot, like no doubt, but I never really got in trouble. Like we did some close call stuff. Right. I got in Hawaii and, you know, like just close call stuff. Like, man, dude, I can't believe we got away with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, like funny stories like that. But for the most part, it was just, um, it, it was good to go. You know what I'm saying? So, so did you, when you checked, when you were at Lejeune, was your, was your family with you? No, no. She stayed, she stayed back in Texas. Like we got okay. married and the plan was because I knew I was going to get on a Victor unit. You know, I knew I was going to one nine. I figured, okay, like she doesn't know anybody here by the time you know, we pick up, we're going to Cax. Like, you know, I didn't really, she didn't want to really deal. We, we decided like, it'd probably be better to stay here in Texas. And my baby was a newborn at the time too. Right. So like, it just made sense, you know, to stay there with her mom and my family and all that stuff. So I said, okay, I got about two years left on my contract at that point. And I go out to one night and I said, I don't want to be here, go back to division. And I said, let me just do this two years and then we'll, we'll just go from there. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. that, that was there at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. So you show up to two eight. you're, you're kind of new guy. Were they, were they fresh back off the Mew when you got there or had they been? Had I, they been I think they, I think they were, this was around, uh, I never forget because this is when USC was playing Texas for the national championship. This was Oh five. And Texas ended up like winning the game at the last moment. Right. Um, so at that point I was still in the holding tank. So this is like maybe late December. I think they were coming back. Some of them were starting to come back from leave at that point. So yeah, like definitely. So it was maybe early January by the time, you know, I got into echo company by the time they said, okay, now most the command is back and you guys can go check in. And I checked in with the, the CO and um, the gunny and all that stuff. And they gave me my room and all that stuff. Yeah. So this was around maybe that time frame. So how did, I mean, once you got to what company did you, or you were in echo company, what, what did they do with you? I mean, cause I know that's always kind of weird. That happened a few times that I remember where we would have like outside sergeants you know come right. over into into the company and then it's always kind of a, a weird transition you know you don't know how you gel with them and then now you have right. a guy a guy that's over you and telling you what to do and um how, how was that for you they were already pretty established dude like a lot of their sergeants and ncos were already you know kind of tight with their guys they were just waiting for the boot drop i came in when they had another boot drop so for some reason on that 06 deployment, they broke up like weapons platoon and they went to like four line platoons for some reason. Like they basically, you know, broke up a lot of the motormen and the 51s and all that stuff. And they basically were 11s. They kept them together like as teams. Cause like I said, you know, um, but, but it was just, it was, it was different because we didn't really have a weapons platoon for that 06 deployment, you know what I'm saying? So a lot of their guys were established. So I was able to, we had four platoons, basically. It was yeah. four, it was four platoons instead of, you know, that, that that's how that works. So I basically just, um, you know, just ended up getting, you know, my own squad there, you know what I'm saying? And like I said, a lot of their guys were already established and already been on the Muse. So mm -hmm. it wasn't hard to find a spot real quick. And like I said, I started hooking up with those guys real easy. Um, 
I started getting in cool with a lot of the guys uh, that came back from the Mew, a lot of the Lance Corporals that were there. And they, they were cool dudes, man. I mean, guys like Matthews and, and uh, um, you know, Ortiz and, and Rashaw and Criddle. I hung out with a lot of the guys at third platoon and, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, it's funny, like before that 06 deployment, uh, some of the guys had a place out in town. And, um, you know, we would go to the Piggly Wiggly after watching the Big Lebowski and we ended up getting like Kahlua and, and, and vodka. <laughs> you know, Ortiz, my buddy Ortiz and a guy named Rafa um, had a place out in town and we were just laughing while watching the Big Lebowski and we just decided to basically like just get hammered before that 06 deployment. So I started getting tight with those guys. And then, like I said, I went to Sergeant's course with some of those guys there uh sergeant york and all those guys and it was cool man it was cool it wasn't hard to like you know i've never been a guy that you know was hard to like you know what i mean i've always been like a cool dude like everyone just you know i don't know i don't think i had had any bad blood with anybody there you know what i'm saying it it, it was cool man it was really cool i I loved it i love going out east i'd never been out east i was excited i just wanted to fit in basically man just do my part there and um, like I said, they were already squared away from the Mew. So it was, they were just basically waiting for a boot drop and the boots got separated into different platoons. And, uh, and that was it, man. So did they, so after they got back and I mean, obviously they're, they're pretty fresh back. Did they know, like, at what point did you guys find out you were going, you know, to, to Fallujah or the outskirts of Fallujah? Uh, let me see. After Sergeant's course, that was around, uh, I want to say February. Then we go to CAX. And I think it was around the time we went to CAX when we started to find out because I had a buddy that was a coyote there. Um, my buddy Sutton, who ended up was in three one during the push. And he was doing like a, like coyotes were doing like six months there at coyote out in 29 palms. And for some reason, like those guys were like, basically like the graders of like how they would grade units and stuff like that and get up to like like okay like two eights good to go you know this unit's not good to go and i think that's how they basically tell like they basically tell higher up like okay if you're going to send someone here send these guys here send these guys here so i think that's how that worked out and i think after tax is when we finally got the we were going to go to fallujah and stuff like that and i ended up talking to him about that and it's funny because like my company commander after the two eight after the 06 deployment went to be a coyote. And I think that's around the time when you guys were going to Afghanistan before Afghanistan. And, um, you know, I guess you guys got a lot of good marks on that, on that CAX because he was one of the coyotes and like there at that time. So I think that's how they basically grade units, man. And I think that's how they strategically put units where, they want units to be i think it it's based off cacs if i'm not mistaken it, it is you're 100 right and i didn't know that i don't think any of us knew that but we right. actually we actually i found that out recently but um or somewhat recently well, but they have a lot of influence for sure they do we they we, we actually got told we were going to afghanistan like right at the tail end of cacs after we finished all the 400 yeah. series ranges and everything and i guess just like you said i think they communicate with higher on who's established enough and um but yeah that's i i think you're 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 dead on with that yeah because it was definitely after cax where we found out we were going to go to uh the fallujah area and um and then we get there i think it's man dude it was like 
it was sometime in 06. I want to say it was um, maybe July of 06. And then we get there to Fallujah. We're waiting for our gear and stuff like that. And then, and then we get orders out West, like echo goes out West and like Fox golf and, and uh, um, um, weapons stay in like the Fallujah area, karma area. Echo goes out west towards Syria to like these little towns that are along the Euphrates and um, like these little towns where they were basically like, you know, organizing like a lot of resupply and stuff like that. And, um, you know, the, the platoons are broken up, but we're kind of like all in the general AO, like we're, we're basically replacing like, uh, I think it was third LAR, first LAR at the time, like they were out there by themselves. Yeah, we talked to uh, we talked to Dan uh, Spaulding about about the, he was kind of saying the same thing it was lar yeah. i think i forget which lar unit but, but yeah i think it was third yeah 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 dance but yeah yeah spalding was like a young lance that they were all young lances at the time they were mm -hmm. all hardcore you know like just out of soi yeah. you know it, it was dope no no they, they, they were squared away like yeah i think it was his birthday today if i'm not mistaken yeah, I think you're right. 34. He, he's, he's 34. Yeah, he's today. 34. Man, like, I'm going to be 41, man. Danny, <laughs> Danny, if you can still run 10 miles, bud, you know, we'll we'll see if you still got it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go do that, man. Because like I said, you know, one of the things, like, yeah, before that deployment, I was running my ass off, man. I was just trying to stay as tight as possible, man, uh, before that deployment. Um, but, yeah, man, happy birthday to you, Danny, if you're listening, buddy. Um, again. <laughs> So yeah, that, that's how that was, you know, we went out and they, they broke up a lot of the platoons and it was just basically like these little towns, man, that, that were, that were kind of infamous for like, you know, little, you know, kind of resupply areas. So, um, we finally fly, in, we, we helo into this little town called Rawa where like a lot of the command was, and then, um, you know, the platoons get separated and then, um, we go to this other little town named Anna. And uh, I'm going in with like the CO and like my guys, my squad. And then like, we're establishing, like we're trying to establish like, you know, something with the locals, you know what I'm saying? Trying to get some dialogue and trying to figure out, okay, why is this place, you know, why is this place hot? Like what, what's going on here? So we're like going to like, what's called CMOC, these CMOC meetings where we're basically trying to get the locals in, trying to, you know, establish stuff like that with them. And then there's a platoon out there at the time. And, um, you know, it, it, it had its moments where like you had some, you know, kinetic stuff going on. There was a lot of IEDs, like a lot of, uh, you know, uh, guys that were getting blown up and stuff like that, you know, Purple Hearts and stuff. Like that. I mean, th th there were several Purple Hearts in, you know, on that deployment, um, third platoon, fourth platoon, uh, McLean and my squad was blown up uh, uh, by the river. Um, so yeah, um, we, we were basically out inside this building. There's some army guys with us too. I never forget, there was some army guys with us that were involved in that. And all of a sudden, like you just start hearing, you know, all these rounds, you know, outside going off and second platoon that came under attack. And then this is the first time, you know, you know, we're, we're, we're um, you know, you know, I'm commanding and controlling at the first time. I tell my, my, one of my team leaders to get on the roof because the walls were really high. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, around this building. So you really couldn't see. So I get, I tell my, my team leader, uh, one of my team leaders to take his team, get on the roof and stay in radio contact. Cause we had PRRs back then. I don't think y'all had those, like you said, right. Like on Afghanistan and all that stuff. You didn't, didn't have PRRs, have right? Iraq we didn't. Yeah. We did. And PRRs and then we transitioned right. to yep. the new 152s. Um, and I can't remember the big, like, 
like one forty eights or what? No, we transitioned out of the one forty eights and the PR oh, okay. to strictly one fifty twos on 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 uh, patrols, and I don't think we carried a big radio. In our, in Ramadi, we did. We carried the one nineteen. We we carried the fox the fox uh, yeah fox yeah. one nineteen, but not right. not in Afghanistan. We no, stuck to the one fifty two. It's the size of a one forty eight. Right. Yeah, yeah, but so we PRRs didn't... were like PRRs were obsolete at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We had PRRs on that 06, and then you know we had 148s and stuff like that. So it was just um, you know, so so getting back to that, you know, um, you know, there was just rounds going up, hitting the wall, or whatever, and uh, second squad it came under attack or whatever, came under hit, and then um, so we finally take over that building and then set up our COC there. That's basically like the COC for the next five or six months while we were there. And like other platoons were like in other little towns. So, um, you know, you know, we would basically run patrols out of that area. And I think probably the most kinetic it got was probably during Ramadan, because we were there when Saddam got hung, you know, when he finally was executed and the locals were pissed. You know what I'm saying? Like during Ramadan, it was kind of like at the same time so, um, you know, there was like, there was riots going on, like the people were coming out, you know, with their flags and all this stuff. And we had like a, an SV bid, you know, that ran the checkpoint and blew up. Um, you know, we had some, some moments where like some people had to get taken out, like our snipers, you know, stuff like that. You know, um, um, a woman was like shooting at us one time and, and, you know, we ended up dropping her, you know, like I'm saying. So I remember they pulled her body in man, and it was just like, she was like a jagged pretzel, you know, standing right in front of her and just like, geez, like these people are like next level, man. Like these, these people like really like, at that point you knew like these people were actively trying to kill you. Like you were in an area where like you had to be head on a swivel and, you know, so like, it was just a lot of, um, you know, just telling my guys, Hey, you know, we're going to be here for the next few months, man. Like we got to stay tight. And, um, like, like we had a few coordinated attacks on the fob, like a few RPGs that hit, you know, our supply room and, um, you know, stuff like that, that went down. Um, one time in particular, we're, we're driving down this MSR route and, um, I took point on every patrol, like as a squad leader, I, I told myself, like, I was going to be point man on every patrol, whether on, whether mounted or on foot. You know, I controlled everything because I, I, I said to myself, if anyone was going to get hit, it was going to be me. You know, I was going to be the first one to get hit. So I took it upon myself to take point on every single patrol. Um, so we're going down this MSR route. And I think we're going to like reload crypto. Like we're putting fresh crypto on like some of the other bases. And there's this body, man, on the side of the road. And it's a straight up decapitated head, bro. And it was like it was. And at that moment, like I told the guys to stop. Cause I immediately, I thought, okay, we're being set up here. Like this is an ambush. Right. So we get out, uh, like we stop the vehicles and I get my binos and I'm looking at this body and, and, and straight up, man, there's a head, you know, that's completely severed on top of this body, man. And, um, at that point I tell the guys to kind of just spread out and, you know, let's try to get closer to it, you know? And then I tell one of my guys to get a toe strap and, um, kind of tie it by the knees so we kind of pulled this body we, everyone got back in the trucks like i didn't want anyone really to get out of the trucks at that point and we pulled the body by its ankles and the head just rose off you know what i mean like the head just rose off the body and um and uh it wasn't rigged or anything like that but it was just like it was the damnest thing i've ever seen man in my life man it was one of the damnest things i've ever seen i had never seen a decapitated head before 
you guys know that you remember that shit. <laughs> yeah. It just rolled up the body like no big deal. You guys never found out what, what it was. They just, somebody just I got dumped. I don't know dumped. if this guy, I don't know if he was a traitor or maybe he was caught talking to, to us. Yeah. But, you know, it was, um, it was probably one of, th- there was guys there that you could trust and there was guys that were kind of iffy, you know, like a lot of those guys, you know, so it, it was, um, it was probably one of those guys that they caught that was ended up giving intel to us and stuff like that. You know, maybe, maybe that's what it was, but uh, yeah. we ended up taking him to the hospital that day. And, um, you know, the head was just chilling back there. You know what I mean? It was weird, bro, because they had a, like, you ever see Beetlejuice, like where they're in the waiting room and that guy with the little head and the big body, I don't know if you ever seen that. The yeah. head was already like the, the head was already like decomposing. It was Damn. the funniest it, it, it was it was it was an experience bro it really was um, let, let, let me ask you something because i i've been meaning to ask some of the senior guys yeah. uh, i know like the bad party soldiers like early on in the invasion like right after you know the 40 days to baghdad and stuff like that they like laid down at, at right. that point what were you guys who were you guys like fighting i know there was like a, a series a mix of like freedom fighters from Syria and all sorts of other places. Right, Chechnyans and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What what kinds of elements were y'all facing out there? I mean, a lot of the guys, like, we, we had an intel guy that was, like, um, like we had one, like, a you know, uh, an interrogator kind of guy, and they were bringing guys in. We were bringing, like, different types of guys, dude, that, like, uh, were, I guess you could say, like, missionaries or stuff like that, you know, like, guys, like, mercenaries or whatever you call it, um, you know, that, that were there, like, different different looking dudes, man, were coming in, like, you know, like that weren't, that didn't look Iraqi at all. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I'm guessing like there were just different guys that were coming down, you know, through the river that were just basically, they knew we were there. Um, So maybe a lot of old Saddam loyalists kind of guys that were there as well. Um, But yeah, there was some guys there that you knew, like, you know, they had like red hair and green eyes, like, like, whoa, like you, you, you look like you're from Chesney or something like that. So, I, I mean, I, I would think like there was definitely different dudes from like different countries that were coming in from Syria, bro, that were coming in from Syria and that were 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 around during that time. So, yeah, it, it was a mix of, of different of different people for sure. And those IDs that they were uh, that they were going off, those were for those that were the EFPs straight coming out of Iran at that time period, the 05, like 06 time frame. You know what I'm talking about? It's like uh it's like the metal container and then it has like that um the lid it sinks in so whenever it explodes that metal ball forms shoots through the hungry yeah right or they i want to say like- i want to say it was more pressure plate because like when mclean got hit um it was more of a pressure plate type like eod would come out and confirm like hey, yeah this was a pressure plate and stuff like that so i think a lot of their stuff like along the river um we had like lar at the time like they had got hit bad bro like where a track had flipped on its back and like a lot of their guys died and they were confirming a lot more pressure plates back then bro so i think we were dealing more with that during that time frame like pressure plate ieds you know kind of when they compressed together and just bam and I, i don't know if it was quicker for them to do it that way or you know they would just dig you know once they would see us take out and we were out of sight you know you know they would just go in and dig because they were obviously monitoring our patrol routes i mean they knew you know you know the ways we were going and stuff like that so i guess they would just go in and dig real quick throw it in and just take off you know what i'm saying yeah 
So, and then you had like, you know, uh, I think Sparks and Server were guys that got hit like, uh, um, I think they got hit by like pressure plates as well um, that, that were kind of dug in on the street and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like just snipers took out a few guys that they were monitoring that were laying down IEDs that they took out and you had a couple of dead bodies in the high back. You know what I'm saying? They were, you know, doing their part, you know, making sure that the patrols were, were, were good to go. You know what I'm saying? That guys weren't, um, you know, um, you know, they were just basically watching our back, you know, angels, you know what I'm saying? Just basically dropping guys that were laying IEDs down on the ground and stuff like that. So I would say more pressure play, bro, that they were finding out there during that time. Yeah, we had a mix of things. I yeah. will say one time, man, we were, uh, Sergeant Lacey took us down to like the, uh, the suit, like the sewers, bro. Like we did this like night patrol, man. Yeah. Sewers, bro. And, Dude. Uh, go ahead. I was just thinking about that the other day. I don't know who, are you talking about in, in Ramadi? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Ramadi, there was some, I, I had a fucking dream about this shit. And I was like, wait, we really did that. Cause I forgot about it, but it was some like, I don't even know what it was. We just had our surefires on down in this un huge underground like chamber. And there's like, like it had to be some type of shit for the water or something in the city. Because remember they had that big ass water tower. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I, I can't really describe what the fuck it was. It was like this big concrete fucking chamber underground, super tall ceiling with a little, little like ladder leading down into it. And it was like these little reservoirs of water inside of it. And I swear to God, I was terrified when I was in there. I was like, we're just going to get ambushed on here and no one's going to know where we're at. Yeah. Right. Right. And well, we ended up finding uh, some, I don't know who the fuck it was, but. They ended up like calling out. It's like there's an ID in there, and some fucking I don't know. Some mooge decided to wrap a fucking grenade around a fucking fire extinguisher. Dude, <laughs> <And> they <laughs> set it up like a booby trap down there. <laughs> it was so fucked up, but it was like whatever, man. And we ended up getting the fuck out of there, dude. Dude, you want to talk about giving me like the creeps, man? Yeah. So those fucking sewers were gnarly, man. Fuck that. Yeah, man. Like I, I, I heard about the Ramadi deployment. I, I think like other than like just I heard kind of like it was maybe more of like humanitarian thing i think the only thing that happened was the yale thing right at the end yeah yeah pretty much there was a few not our unit not two eight i mean uh there was a few units up north i don't know who it what unit it was but they had some like ip issues where like marines were stabbing ips and and marines were getting stabbed <laughs> by ips on posts wow i'm pretty yeah. sure that was one eight man was it? I'm pretty sure it was. So that was I was just telling them this story about how uh, the log train came and they're like, did you hear about that Marine that stabbed that IP to death? And I was like, no. I was like, we thought it was you, bro, because I used to fuck with knives all the time. And I'm like, we thought it was you, bro. And I was like, no, I didn't. Um, but it was, I think I'm pretty sure it was 1-8, someone from 1-8. But dude, it was honestly like, it was, and we've talked about this before, like it was just such a, a great training like experience it was like cax 2.0 it's like what we what we call it but when you when you look back and think about it and think about the place that we were it was honestly the way we were fucking doing ops and shit was so irresponsible like we're taking out a fire team four marines and four ips iraqi police that our our uh pit team was training up you know right. the, the guys and whatnot and like, so you have eight guys, four of them are, are Iraqi police officers who probably half of them were, you know, prior insurgents. 
you know, to before they put this uniform on, but like we're walking these streets that are like, you know, the place obviously everybody knows about Ramadi and what fucking happens there. It's like, dude, if we would if it would have just turned at the drop of a dime and like we would have got engaged on a patrol, the fucking whole patrol would be dead. There's, yeah. there's no chance. We didn't have fucking it was just we were really kind of lucky or whatever you want to call it, fortunate that things didn't go as bad because we were like it was so lax that we could have taken a lot of casualties if they decided that they wanted to fucking, you know, we were really just doing like checkpoint shit. When we would go out on patrol, we would set up, you know, VCP, snap VCP. Just right. But we, I don't know. We, we were doing so much like, like night. And I don't want to say nice, but good shit for the local people there. Like right. giving Parts them food, mind stuff. food, blank. Yeah, exactly. We were doing all that. Like, and, and they were kissing all the, the commander, you know, Iraqi police commander's asses They're you know, all the hires are going out in town, getting wasted with them at their fucking little, you know, houses and shit. And um, so we did, I guess, you know, we did all the right things. I know there was a different strategy from from hire that that, you know, we maybe weren't informed about, which is why a lot of the traffic through Ramadi at that point was choked out. So you didn't have an influx of, you know, outside fighters coming in there to cause problems. But I know after we left, I forget who ripped us. One nine ripped us. Oh, okay. So that was so yeah. One nine, one nine ripped us, and they got fucked up there, like bad. They got a ton of uh, SV bid issues. They took they took casualties. I don't know how Jeez. many guys they ended up losing on that deployment, but like it was a complete one eighty from the way we had the AO controlled to to what they we left them with. And it was like that before we got there. I forget. Was it three two seven that we ripped? I, I always forget. I think it was two seven. And I remember going on one of the first patrols when we were. It was just me, and I think uh, Sergeant Hipkins from Fox, maybe a couple other dudes that were ripping like half, you know, left seat, right seat, and we were taking a patrol in this fucking squad leader. I remember him telling, he's like, watch this building, watch this building, watch this building. He's like, you'll get sniper fire from there. He's like, the wait to your back's turn. And I'm like, oh shit, this is going to be nuts. Cause yeah. they had, they had it that way. Right. And and then it just, it just wasn't for whatever reason it, it wasn't, it just, it was. So a, that was kind of like, like maybe like a, a gap there where like things were kind of steady and then the next unit comes in and then bam, like they just, it, you think maybe that's because maybe they're regrouping at the time? I don't know. Like, and I asked I asked uh, General Gronsky um, when we did an interview with him because he was a, you know, I forgive me for forgetting what his position was in the whole grand scheme of things over there. But he was the was he a, was he a colonel he at a, the time? Was yeah, he, he was a brigade commander, I believe. Yeah. Well, I forget what rank he was when he was commanding. Yeah, he was uh, a colonel. Yeah. And anyway, I asked him that. I was like, did you ever experience? Because he was there in 05, 06, yeah. I, I think is when he was commanding that. And um, I was like, did you ever experience like lulls like that where, you know, and he was like, no, maybe a day or two, but not for months at a time. Because that's the only, that was the only thing that I could explain as to why it would have calmed down like that for that six, seven month period. Yeah. Be somewhat hot calm down and then pick back up as if they were just having issues with manpower yeah. or supplies or whatnot to, to continue fighting. But it could have just been like, we did the, that, uh, 
that shit you were talking about, we call it, well, what the fuck do we call it? Where we would just go in that school right next door and give them money. Oh, you dispersed me. CMOC? Do you guys call it CMOC? Right, like CMOC. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what they called it too, but we would just go to the school and locals would come in and they would be like, oh, I need money for this and this. And we would, you know, we had whoever from just giving them money, giving them food. Like we just treated them so well that I think they're probably just like, let's just keep tapping this until they decide they want to be, you know. Right. As opposed to like 0405 when Ramadi was brutal, man. I mean, it was like apocalypse around that time, man. Like it was, it was pretty rough, man, for those guys that were there. So maybe there was a, a period where maybe yeah, a lot of those guys, maybe they were regrouping somewhere else. And then when one nine came in, you know, and at that point I already had EAS. So like, it didn't make sense to stay with one nine. So I'm glad like when I got yeah. to one, I knew that at that point, like by the time they got a boot drop and all that stuff, like I was just going to, you know, so that made sense to leave there. Um, Dude. And, and honestly, i'm just tapping in like honestly like after going to afghanistan and everything i i am fucking so grateful that it was not kinetic there that is has to be in a city like that like that would be the most terrifying but like these phantom fury dudes like when i watch shit like that and look at that i'm like that's insane i don't know how yeah. buddy i don't know how anyone made it out of there it's a 360 fucking right you know, three-dimensional yeah and it's just every every building has a bullet hole or is blown halfway to pieces like it's it's crazy i would not have wanted to be in gunfights and and shit like that that would be you know yeah it it was it was warheads on foreheads man it was it was that close like guys that uh you know when you guys went to boot camp there was probably already guys from phantom fury that were already like and you know like when you go to boot camp like they have like memories of, of marines that got medal of honors and stuff like that and i think peralta was one of those guys, uh, Rapio Peralta, who was in one three, um, who was given the, I think the Navy cross, he was up for a medal of honor, uh, for like, like guarding a grenade. And it was, uh, Jason Durham. I think he was in one seven or two seven and Oh four that had jumped on a grenade. Uh, like all that stuff was already, you know, yeah. already going on during that time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I remember my senior drill instructor was a, uh, he was an assault man. And uh, he had one of his junior Marines who had just came back from, it may have been Fallujah. It was a, it was a heavy kinetic deployment in Iraq. And he came in while we were, I was going through boot camp. He let this fucking Marine come and like, he just paced up and down and was like, not really chewing our asses, but like, you could tell he he had just gone through the shit and like, we're all standing there like, what the fuck? And he's like, I'm telling you right now. And he's talking about dudes getting sniped for smoking cigarettes, you know, yeah at night and shit you know yeah. they're marking the cherry on their cigarette and you know he and i was like damn like this is still didn't know how what to really think of it but i'm just like this you know the, it was already super kinetic by the time we were even hit the fleet yeah we're, we're already past that we're three three years into the war already you know yeah yeah and i i, I linked up with uh valdez he was in weapons company 28 around the karma when they were in karma when he got shot by a sniper ended up surviving that but they, they, yeah there was definitely like a lot of sniper guys out there i know tahada got hit by a sniper got shot in the hand so like they were definitely out there but it was um you know it was a lot of it was ieds uh for the most part like guys that were getting hurt it was all ied stuff you know what i'm saying yeah. it was just that's basically you know how that was um uh, what was i gonna say uh, i was gonna say something about uh uh 
man, I lost my train of thought, but um, it's all right, man. It's just vet yeah. brain. It's just vet brain. Vet brain. We, we all, yeah, it's vet brain. Yeah. <laughs> it's forties, man. You know, it's vet brain. It's forties with my so, gray hairs now, man. You know, so, um, so I know, you know, I know you had a kind of a, a life change there during that deployment that you were telling me about with your whole family situation. Mm-hmm. Do you want to, do you want to go into that or do you want to? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. Like I said, a, after, like, like I said, th- there was moments during that deployment. Um, there was one time when a healer went down like recon and did a raid on this village and um, the, the healer like, you know, went down pretty hard. And they came under like attack and they called in a tick and then like LAR went out there and then my squad, we were coming back from something else. So we got called into that and went into that. And while, you know, motor rounds were dropping as we were going in and, you know, these, uh, these uh, Cobras come in and basically just, you know, it's North of the river. They're attacking from North of the river. The Hilo crashed South of the river, but it's like right there. So I'm saying they're dropping motor rounds and all this stuff they're shooting. And all of a sudden, by the time we get there, um you know the cobras come and just basically light these guys up and then we have both teams back then too that were just floating on the river oh, who shit. basically assaulted through which was cool as hell i don't know i don't think i don't know if there was that going on in afghanistan but like riverines like, and shit huh like riverines that's what they call them right riverines yeah riverines yeah riverines is that what they yeah yeah well, I, no, guess. We, we, I heard some straight like our our uh, drill instructors tell us some crazy stories about uh dudes um on these boats man and how like they would always yeah. get hit but like ieds and it was always the back blast that killed these guys like they'd be fine but it was like their internal like organs were just like mush yeah yeah no we definitely had guys on the river on the euphrates like that were like on patrol in case anything went down like that so we had we had a team already out there that was able to get north of the river quickly and assault through and basically just finish what the cobra started and you know, take out whoever was still alive or whatever. And then, um, you know, that was that. And that was a, a crazy story because like we, we stayed, initially we thought that we were going to blow up that helo after all the killing was done. All they, they, they took out everybody, whatever the boat team went back and, um, I'm there with my guys, my squad. And, um, you know, we thought they were just going to blow the helo and just get, get out of there. You know what I'm saying? But they, some general had said, you know, we're going to send a flatbed and we're going to take that thing out. So, it was just like for the next three days and three nights, like we stayed there with that helo, man. And that first night, dude, I remember like, I, I felt, I really felt like we were going to get hit. You know what I'm saying? Because we had just taken out some of their guys and maybe a lot of guys who escaped were regrouping. Um, so that night, man, um, we kind of spread out the gun trucks a little bit. Like one, I sent one of my gun trucks like towards the ridge line so they can see anything coming from over the ridge line. Um, and then there's another gun truck right by the helo. And then I decided to take my gun truck and point it down this main avenue of approach that was like right next to this mud hut. And they had a lot of mud huts over there, like basically living in the mud and stuff like that. And, um, we were right next to this house pointing. I had my 50 guy, my 50 cal gunner, uh, Rafa point down this, this road. And that first night, man, like I was just, I was just tense, bro. I just did not want to go to sleep. I, I really felt we were going to get hit. Um, so we kind of stand to for a while till like maybe 11 o'clock, like 2300. And I said, Hey, we're, we're all going to stay up until we get sleepy. And then we're kind of, kind of do like sleep rotations at that point. So I let my guys, you know, um, I take first watch or whatever. And then I go down to the river. I had to piss. Right. So I go down to the river and it's right there. There's a mud hut. 
I'm pissing in the Euphrates, man. And then like, there was like a tree right there and I hear something and I just boom, like I point, you know, my weapon and it's this old guy watching me, bro. And at that point, like, I went nuts, dude. I freaking yelled, get the freak on the ground, blah, blah, blah. You know, I just, I went off, dude. I went like pointed right at him. I was getting ready to pull the trigger, um, got him on the ground, whatever. Um, and he turned out to be like uh, a guy that he was like putting his hands up, you know what I'm saying? Like peace, peace, you know? You can tell like when they're trying to give you like that international, like you can tell body language kind of stuff. So, you know, after all that, um, we stayed with that helo for like three days and three nights and um, it was hot during the day. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, th those freaking trucks were burning up. We had no cover whatsoever and we're sweating during the day freaking freezing our asses off at night and we're, we're sleeping in the gun trucks, bro. We're not spread out at all. So like your, um, our bodies were just freaking done, bro. After, I mean, we were, it was, we were past frustration at that point, bro. Complaining and all that stuff. Like, when are we going to get the hell out of here? You know, blah, blah, blah. And then like during the last day, the, the guy that I had pointed my weapon on, he came out with a bunch of like goat meat and uh, dude, we ate that up, bro. But he was basically just saying, look, you know, I was trying to be your friend the whole time. I understand, you know, your helo went down, you guys came under attack, but we're not with that. We're not with those guys. So that was kind of cool at the, like, like right around the last day for him to show that sign of peace. And at that point I said, you know what? Okay. We're not here to, you know, hurt anybody, but if you hurt us, then we're, we're going to do what we got to do. So, so that was, you know, one of those experiences there. Um, they got the helo out and then we went back to uh, where the rest of the company was. Um, and that was, uh, um, that, that experience there. And then you had said something, I don't know, you guys were, were, were mentioning something. And then I kind of went off on that tangent there. I apologize. No, you're fine. I, I'm, I appreciate that. You sharing that. Um, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, I don't know if you want to go into it or what you want to go into about your, oh, yes. you know, the effects of the decisions you made with your career and what, how that kind of played out, what you found out on that deployment. And right. Right. Um, you know, there, there, there was a few, you know, after that, um, you know, after like a few of that, you know, after seeing McLean getting blown up and, and, you know, an RPG that had kind of zipped through my gun truck and my, my second gun truck. And, you know, the, you know, the, the, there was some few close calls where, where we could have, you know, gotten seriously hurt. Like, I think it was just McLean that got, ended up getting a purple heart for that IED explosion and a couple of other guys from the other platoons. But, um, we ended up moving to like a little town called Hassa, like the whole company at like towards the end of the deployment. And at that point I started to think, okay, we're starting to wind down. And I think it was first LAR or third. It was one of the other LAR. They were coming in to rip with us. So we were basically doing what you guys did with, with um, you know, when you start ripping and, and basically saying, okay, this is this and this is that. And I started to have, you know, these thoughts of, of am I going to reenlist when I get back? Because I had maybe like five months after we got back from that 06 to really, you know, uh, think about whether I was going to stay in or not. Um, like I said, I had been gone already for almost, you know, for a while. I hadn't seen my kid since she was a little infant. It was going around two years at that point. Um, so um, get back to Lejeune. Um, they do the ceremonies for the guys we lost. I think it was like Rapavi and Hurlston the guys from golf and weapons and stuff like that. I think Rapavia got hit by a sniper, got shot in the back of the neck and, and stuff like that. Like there was some guys that uh, we, we do the memorial, we do mess night. I remember that. 
And then at that point, the command approached me and they said, hey, you know, what are you going to do? Um, are you going to reenlist? Um, you're in zone for staff sergeant. So at that point, I was just like, wow, I'm in zone at eight years. You know, everything was good. The fit reps were good. The PFT was good. You know, rifle, all that stuff was good to go. There was no gaps in the fit rep because you have to have all that squared away before they even consider you go get your photos and all that stuff. So um, they were saying, hey, yeah, you reenlist. We're going to send you to some more schools and stuff like that. So I talked to the missus uh, after that deployment and I ended up hooking up with one of my buddies who was in three, two at that time, you know, and um, who was on that RCT deployment, whatever. Uh, and I had another buddy in one six who was with me on that deployment as well. He was in Ramadi at that time. They were there actually uh, one six in Ramadi during that 06 deployment. Um, and then, uh, dude, this is probably, probably the toughest decision that I've ever had to make. Cause at that point, you know, my wife at the time had said like some things had happened, you know what I'm saying? Like some, and I'm sure you guys can fill in the blanks, you know, what was going on. Um, some bad things were happening at that point, you know, she got caught up with some, with some guy and, and it just really knocked the wind out of me, dude. It really knocked the wind out of me. Cause I was coming back from that tour, um, hadn't seen my kid. And now I'm dealing with an unhappy wife, you know, who felt like, I guess she felt deprived that I had to leave because I, that B billet was supposed to be like three years or whatever. So it ended up getting chopped. So, but I wanted to go and I thought she was supporting me at that time. So, uh, you know, um, I had to make a big decision at that point. And at that point, the command didn't know anything that what was going on back home. You know, she had admitted that she had done some, some things and, um, you know, she didn't want to necessarily be, you know, if, if I was going to choose the military, she was out basically at that point, you know, and, uh, it sucked, bro. It really did. Um, I didn't tell the command for like the first month getting towards EAS, about the last three months of my EAS, I, I was just a ticking time bomb, bro, because I didn't know, I didn't figure that going on post deployment leave, I wasn't going to be able to settle these tickets, man, you know, trying to work something out and then come back, do the workup for Ramadi and then go back out with you guys. You know what I'm saying? I had, you know, I had bigger things that I was dealing with, man. Like I was all for it. Like I, I was ready to reenlist after that deployment. I went to the career planner and then all this momentum came towards me to get out of the military because of all this pressure that I was getting from my, my wife at the time. So I had to do some soul searching, man. I really did. Um, I took, a, I, I took some time. I, I remember going, um, you know, uh, to the e-club, whatever, hanging out with the guys, drinking, you know, drinking. I started drinking a lot, which was probably the wrong decision at the time. But um, about a month later, uh, uh, the command approaches me again and says, hey, what are you going to do? Like, we need to know now because these schools are going to come up after post-deployment leave. And uh, we just need to know what you're going to do. And at that point, like, I just, it just came out. I just said, I'm getting out. And then this big wave of peace just came upon me. And it's just like, at that point, I knew that it was the right decision to get out, man. Because I was just, I just felt like I couldn't deal with what was going on back home and be mentally ready to go back out with, I think you guys were getting there around that time, right? Yeah. Like after the 06 deployment, yeah. you guys were checking in to like golf and box and all that stuff. And I remember that because there was like a hazing incident that happened. And like the <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel DeTrue was like, told everybody, like if you, if he basically told the new guys, like if, if, if any of the senior guys mess with you, you have my permission to punch him in the freaking face. You know what I'm saying? Cause there was like uh, some stuff that was going on at that time too. So, yeah. 
Yeah, so you hit the fleet like April 07. The what? I said we hit the, I hit the fleet in April of 07. Oh, okay. So you got there, okay, a little after. Wait, no, you were there already. Okay, so I I was there. I think our boot drop, because they were West Coast, and I think they were a few weeks after we dropped, because I remember being there. You guys weren't even back yet. And there was a there was a group of us that were there, right? And then are you guys like had just gotten home or maybe I I don't remember exactly. No one was really there when I was there either. You were on post deployment leave, right? No, no, maybe not. I don't know, but I was I know that I was one of the initial boot drops there because no one was there either. You hadn't got back gotten back yet, or maybe you were on leave or whatnot. But it was it was peaceful for a while. <laughs> right but then it was fucking not it was not dude i want to say it was february of 07 when we started coming back from that deployment i want to say it was around february time frame yeah when we got back so yeah so it was kind of just chill kind of like the way it was when i was when i checked in before i checked in the 28 um yeah man so that's basically how that rolled and then um it sucked man because like i had like i said staff sergeant in zone um i had schools coming you know i wanted to stay in and that's basically how that rolled man so like and and i was talking to josie about this like when you when i decided to get out like i felt like the command really didn't um understand at the time what i was going through so like the command was basically hey if you have problems deal with it we need you kind of stuff it's just like we need bodies and you know going through steps and taps they really didn't prepare me for what civilian life was going to be like like they tell you certain things but they don't really prepare you for what civilian life's going to be like man so that's that's one of those things i wish they would change um you know as you're processing out of the marine corps you know because i was getting out with a bad taste in my mouth i didn't show it as much i wasn't going to influence like the boots and be like this dirt bag you know what i mean i was still mm-hmm. like doing what i had to do i was on duty i was doing it you know what i'm saying i wasn't like making it known like you know i was this sergeant you know that was a total dirtbag and guys were going to be like was this what it's like and like no i i didn't have that attitude i was able to harness all that and just do the duty when i was on duty and just eas like in june of 07 is when i eas and um that's all that road man yeah you know so yeah i know i know you said you still that's one that you still you still battle with yourself on as if you would have stayed or, you know, but the decision you make is always got to be the right one. You know, it, it is. So. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause I tried to get back in after my divorce was final about a year later. Um, I tried to get back in, but when I did, cause they give you like a code, like you have like a specific code that can get you back in. I don't know. You have to you have to have a specific code to like, get back in after you get out but like they were offering me corporal man to come back in i was like i'm not gonna be a corporal man after a year and they were gonna bust you down for you to to come corporal man to corporal and i said no man this isn't working for me dude i was in zone for staff sergeant and then like i would come back because i guess i had been out for so long that i was gonna come back in as a corporal and it just it just at that point i knew all the doors were closed man like just give it up already and just accept it man like you know there was a reason why all that momentum, all that energy to get out was there. Looking back, I know why now I had to get out mm-hmm. because I had to come home. I had to deal with this, you know, I hadn't seen my kid in almost two years. It made sense. But part of me was just like, hey, I'm doing this for my country. You're supposed to get on board with it. You know what I mean? 
So, but then I, you know, I started feeling bad about that, you know, like maybe I should have paid more attention at home, you know, kind of stuff. But, um, so after I asked, um, I ended up, uh, getting a job. I just wanted to get a job quickly. So I was a, like a security guard. I just needed a job. I knew that I didn't want to just like drop pack. You know what I mean? Like, just like, you know, start feeling sorry for myself. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I get a security gig and, uh, this guy, he's a cool guy. He gets me in and I end up doing security for like these rich, like oil types in Texas, like people that have a lot of money, man, a lot of money. And like I was doing security, like at their condominiums where they live and their place of business where they work. And it was cool and everything, but like, it just really wasn't me at that point because like, you know, being around people that have a lot of money, it's just like, it was just different. Like here I was coming from, you know, from Al Ambar. And then I was dealing with people who really didn't understand what I was going through at the time. They were just kind of snobby about a lot of things. And I just said, this place is not good for me, man. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was cool and everything, but I just didn't feel like it was for me. So I started applying for like CCPD, which is like Corpus Christi police department, um, state troopers, Texas state troopers, and the post office. I applied for those three, those three there. Um, I took the academy. I went to the academy. I mean, not the academy. I, I did the physical and the written test for the local police department. I passed both of that. And then I was just w waiting to pick up on a class. And then the post office called and said, hey, you know, come in for an interview. And then I started working for the post office and said, okay, I'll do this until the academy picks up. And then I just ended up staying with the post office, man. I ended up falling in love just delivering mail, man. So that's what I've been doing like the last 13 years, bro, since I've been out. Yeah. Hell yeah. Good keep, bit. Keep, you in, keep you in shape. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And you're by yourself, right? Like you're most of the time, you're like in like solid you just what do you do drive around just yeah yeah like yeah. I, I dude I've, I've done some stupid Still things with the, with, the, with the little mail truck i've done snap bcps and you know get out real quick <laughs> deliver the mail <laughs> i've done some funny things man because like you basically get your mail ready in the morning and once that once you're out in the street you're on your own for like six seven hours man so like you're interacting with people um i got bit a few times man by some pit bulls and some uh oh, shit some crazy stuff man like like you it's basically like you you basically go door to door and you hear like arguments and like people fighting and stuff like that like you know it, it's 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 had its moments for sure um but it's it's a good job man you know it's federal you know what i'm saying like you know i basically kept that time going in you know started getting smarter with money and putting money away and, and stuff like that and like i said i live way below my means dude so like i don't you know, I just, uh, you know, as a grunt, like that's one of the traits that I kept as an infantry guy, like saying, like, I don't need all this other stuff, this fancy stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to live, you know, basic stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't need to be spending money on all this stuff. Like, I I'm good with just uh, basic stuff and basically supporting my kid, really setting her up for success. You know, she's doing a lot of good stuff and um, doing good in school and taking flight lessons and stuff like that so i'm paying for that right now you know yeah doing flight lessons and stuff like that but it, it's cool man it's really cool but i kind of wanted to transition josie and, and talk to you guys about um you know uh like other things like um you know like um how you know josie we, we were talking earlier about um you know like the media and stuff like that and how how the internet has changed a lot of things and and how the military is changing you know what i'm saying like when we were in, you know, we were dealing more with like, 
IEDs and, 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 you know, sniper fire and stuff like that. Now, like, you know, how do you guys feel about where the military is going? And if there is a next war, like, let's like say, for example, with China or whoever, like, how do you guys think these guys are going to be able to handle what they may be, you know, facing in the next coming years? Because I hear a lot of talk about China, like, beefing up a lot of stuff and maybe the next war may be with them. So how do you guys like, like what's your take on that stuff? Like from the time we were in the stuff we dealt with to where a, the next war could be possibly going. We, we talk about this quite a bit and I'm going to, this is more of Josie's realm. So I'm going to yeah. let, I'm going to let him give you the, the I, short. I, I worry. I worry. Um, everyone that we talk to has a, a very optimistic outlook about this, current generation and the new generation. And from all the research that I've done, you know, every commandant has basically said, you know, the Marine Corps attracts the right people with the right virtue, with the right stuff. And to an extent, I, I do believe that. But I also believe too, that as a result of our earlier historical victories within the mediated state, and what I'm talking about is the 1947 Security Act that the Marine Corps had to conduct its own propaganda campaign in order to secure itself as a institution within the armed forces. So, you know, McChrystal and Truman weren't a big fan of the Marine Corps, um, partly because we had an army. So we had to establish that. And one of the substances that allowed that to take place was the fact that the American, you know, America wanted the Marine Corps. And as a result of that, we kind of forfeited our um, our seat to the American public, meaning that if the American public wants a Marine Corps, then there should be a Marine Corps. But that also bites us in the ass whenever we have, you know, culture wars that are not just culture wars in the sense that it's domestic, but it's also foreign influenced. Mm. And so I worry, I worry that this I worry because I, I, I don't know if it's like um, if whatever I went through, can someone else handle that? Right. And who's going to be there? What leadership is going to be there when, when they need to be there in order to allow these individuals to, you know, begin the, the, the grieving process or, you know, to talk about it? Is, is someone going to have to go through the politics that, that I went through? right or whatever other experiences that were pretty bad um you know amongst you know the other guys in two and i right. worry about that stuff i also worry too that and for the most part you know i was talking to, to anthony earlier about um, how i was asked to go ahead and do this write-up for this particular book um that a colleague is is making and a lot of it encompasses this idea of narrative warfare mm. um and how it relates to like technology. And um, to me, you really don't see institutional reality, whether it's everything from government, education, religion, um, talking about how war has become so pervasive. So yeah. the war is no longer on foreign places. I mean, there's a war happening in foreign places, but it's in your front, it's in your living room, it's in your, your smartphone, it's in your right. computer screen, it's in your TV, it, you know, it's everywhere, it's pervasive. And for the most part, we haven't really adjusted our framework of how one, social media's digital technologies go hand in hand with deconstructing essentially 
um, the human psyche. And so right now we see a lot of these issues as a result of um, basically influence operations expanding the past decade. And so what I mean by this is we, you know, because the new cycle and the algorithms, you know, are basically fast, we don't get time to process what has happened. And we don't get time to send in mediators to go ahead and assess the population, right? So you take, for example, the Internet Research Agency, which was a thousand Russian sock puppets that got hired to basically sow division within the United right. States. They influenced 150 million Americans. And we saw maybe maybe about a good six months of what they were doing, but we really didn't dive into the specifics of what they did. And essentially what they did, and we talked about this, they, they developed assets, not just online, but physical assets here in the United States. They pitted one group with another group. Um, and they exploited the fact that we're a constitutional republic or a democracy. Right. Meaning that we're not like China, Russia, North Korea, Iran that has some type of firewall um, that basically channelizes, you know, the free flow of information. So they exploited every cultural issue that we're going through and it exasperated everything. So it made it seem that Joe Schmo next door, you know, who was supporting Donald Trump was this overt racist when in fact he was exercising his constitutional right to choose whatever part political party he wanted to, you know, participate in. And along the way he got manipulated or got influenced to say certain things, but you don't hear like I said, the specific individuals and ideologues talking about this massive division that was sowed. And as a result of it, we're still trying to heal from that. Well, right. we're moving into a future uh, that basically with a, a, an entire population that's still grieving, that's still going through all this process. And this future is no better and no, not easier to traverse than the, the previous past, right? And for the most part, what I'm talking about and what I tell these folks, and it's, it's kind of like a, using million dollar words here, but I basically say that, you know, there's this social epigenetic and mimetic entropy. We're becoming less and less organized. And as a result of it, the war itself has become genomic. It's, it's now entered the, the genetic spectrum, meaning that these influence operations as a result of technologies and the way AI and machine learning works is right. it's basically turning our future offspring into incapacitated individuals, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens, what happens to the brain in a fight or flight? So if you have massive levels of cortisol norepinephrine going off all the time and your HPA axis is, is in fight mode all the fucking time. Well, guess what? Your brain is going to shrink. Your prefrontal cortex is going to fucking shrink. That's where mm -hmm. your memories, your social interactions, and your executive uh, decision-making process works. And that epigenetic stuff or that that trauma gets passed on to the next generation. And the yeah. result of that, and really what I haven't hit on is it can go both ways. Resilience works both ways. Someone that's brought up in a very, you know, um, adverse uh, environment can grow up to be the most resilient individual and a person who grows up in like the most you know great environment can also grow up to be probably one of the mo more weaker individuals but nonetheless 
the future of tomorrow isn't settled. Um, and as a result of it, our institutions, and namely the Marine Corps, um, and I, I was asking uh, Dan the last podcast, you know, how does the Marine Corps specifically use, you know, ethos in today's, you know, postmodern or fifth generation um, warfighting paradigm? And it's kind of somewhat of an obsolete thing, you know, because like, what, what, what do I need to know about honor, courage, or commitment if I'm flying a drone? You know what I'm saying? Right. It's very difficult to try to see the dichotomy between using virtue ethics and me flying a drone whenever I know that this fucking MQ-20 now, which they're introducing now, um, is going to wreak havoc on a population. Maybe there's people in there, you know, am I going to be able to stop that? Probably not, not if it's a fucking order. Right. Um, And just the evolution of the battle space in general Right, so if you look at like the 2030, 2045 futures um, fighting with China, we're not just talking about, uh, we're, we're talking about urban littoral island hopping, um, but we're also talking about UAS, unmanned aerial systems that are very, very sophisticated. And we're not just talking about, you know, one drone here or one drone there, we're talking about fucking mothership that releases fucking dozens of these fucking things that right. feed on bio-algorithms that can read you, that can pick you up and take you out. And we're talking about the evolution of a fucking warfighter being completely autonomous and completely dispersed across a wide array of systems. So basically the entire Marine Corps is shifting to a more mature force. And what does that mean? Well, it means something very, it means multiple things, but I think the one thing that it does mean is that the all-volunteer force is going to become very, very minimal, very, very small. And Americans, as, as they have forgotten, not all, but as they have forgotten since 1973, all-volunteer force carrying the blunt of America's sins is going to be completely disconnected. And as a result of that, um, one, the veteran population is going to decrease but also to those historical anecdotes and those leaders that come back to their communities that prepare the next generation. Um, so I worry on a larger level about how the American population can better serve. Um, and not just, you know, specifically for the Department of Defense. If you incapacitate an individual, right, you're, you're talking about the workforce, you're talking about America's future scholars, you're talking about every institution being affected as a result of basically me social engineering you through binary zeros and ones and visuals. And that's a result of, you know, the physical infrastructure and physical space becoming basically digital. Uh, and, And that's what we're going to expect when we transition into, I mean, we're already in 5G, but it's not as pervasive as it is in, in Asia. I mean, Asia's, uh, China's got a lot of problems. It's got a population problem. Um, it's got a, a monetary problem. It's not fulfilling its built in road initiative. So a lot of the things that they promised are not doing. Um, they're using narrative warfare, meaning that th- everything that China is doing is to project this uh, visual that they're this great right. grand country and that their system of governance works when in fact it fucking doesn't work. Yeah. Their fucking people are fucking miserable. Um, yeah. And 
little by little, what's really killing Americans is 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 essentially what's happening inside of us. Right. And and once again, you know, you don't have ideologues uh, talking about how these foreign actors, these foreign influences, are tearing each other up. And I think, and for me personally, I think a lot of it. So if you look, so there's, I think now the numbers, I think range between like 2001 and, and, and now there's been 100,000 or over 100,000 veteran suicides. And yeah, man. in 2018, uh, we reached the highest level of suicides in the United States in general, which I think was a little above 48,000 people. So we're talking about 132 people committing suicide every day in the United States. Right. And I asked, More that we've lost in combat, for sure. Yeah. And, and altogether, uh, the National Institute of Mental Health um, has diagnosed that, or basically they're provided this, the stats saying that there's 51.5 million individuals in the United States that have what they call any mental illness, which is basically anything from depression all the way to, you know, like uh, some, you know, like schizophrenia. Right. But my, but my point being in all of this is how much of it has been as a result of narrative warfare or mimetic warfare, right? right. How much of it has, has been because of that? I mean, you, you know, not to bring anything negative up or anything like that, but the trigger pull doesn't mean shit. It's everything else in between that trigger pull that fucking matters. And there is no metric system, not even the VA. Like the VA has some like bullshit fucking, uh, these are the causes. No one cause is the leading reason why these individuals do it. Um, and I think they need to go back and revamp how they're doing that because they're not considering how foreign influences and essentially, you know, mind viruses, ideology, has caused a lot of these problems. And yeah. every time you go on the internet, every time you go on your fucking smartphone, and that's why people leave Facebook, and I, and I get it because I've done it too. Like, it's a negative fucking place. Like, who wants to be in that? Right. When that's, the only picture of the world is it's burning. Yeah, man. No, you, you brought up a lot of good stuff, man. Like, when, when I got out of the core, um, I, I dealt with a lot of depression, man. I, I dealt with a lot of... Um, you know, going from Malambar to being security guard. And I didn't really feel my worth when I first got out. So that mental stuff, they really didn't help you transition to that. You know, like I dealt, I was living like in a microaggressed kind of state of mind where like I was basically getting offended all the time. Like, you know, you know, by things that really weren't even happening. I was getting offended in my head. I would go out to dinner by myself and like, you know, like a group of people would be next to me having fun. And I really felt like they were either roasting me or making fun of me. And I was like living that type of life for a while. And then I didn't understand really a lot about CBT or cognitive behavior therapy, where I was beginning to learn how to break the chain of my thought and really saying, hey, like, these people aren't making fun of me. Like, why am I getting upset about this? Why am I allowing my thoughts to go deeper than what they really have to be? So I started to understand that a lot more. And, and, and I can see why a lot of guys would go down that depression road and they get so far out, like they get so far deep into that where they feel like there's no other way out other than suicide, man, especially after they get out. And, and one of the things I wanted to bring up to you guys, cause you know, like being grunts and like, you know, coming from SOI, like we're taught to be hardcore guys, you know, you, you know, you don't want to be the guy that's complaining. 
You don't want to be the guy that's showing weakness. And I think when we get out like that, a lot of that stuff stays with us to the point where like, we don't really want to ask for help. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't want to ask for help because you don't want to be that guy that's showing weakness. And I think that's something that, that we need to change, bro. You know what I'm saying? Because there's been so many suicides because I think a lot of guys are suppressing so much of that because they feel like they're too proud to ask for help, bro. Because you know how it is in the grunts, like, you know, like just don't be that guy. That's not, you know, just don't be that guy that's complaining. Don't be that guy that's showing weakness. And I think we kind of take that with us after we go and do our own thing. But like, how do you guys feel about that? Like, do you think that's something that we can change as far as that? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it, it needs to change. And that's kind of, this is a, something that me and me and Josie, you know, exactly what you just said, have, we, we agree with a hundred percent and, and think that, that is a, a main issue, but a lot of the things that we brought up that kind of challenged that idea is how do you have a lethal aggressive warfighter, you know, when you, when you build him up by essentially babying him, you can't, right. you got to treat him bad. You got to keep him pissed off. You got him. You got to let him know he has to fucking suck it up. If he has an issue, if he can walk and talk and pull a trigger, then, you know, that's all we need you to do. But just like you said, when you leave and you don't have that structure, you don't have that family anymore. And you think you're on your own and the only one dealing with it, you forget you have all of those brothers that you just left and they're just like you. They're, they're out there. They're just not around you anymore. So guys, you know, they don't know what to do. They get secluded and, and, you know, make bad decisions and they're not protecting their own headspace because they're filling it full of bullshit and, yeah. and, falling into you know vices and things like that you know but that's i don't want to i'm not saying it's not their fault everybody's responsible for their actions but you know they were kind of set where we kind of all have been set up for failure really but in hopes you know things like this talking you know then this just doesn't doesn't only apply to two eight guys but that's that's what affects us directly because anytime we lose a guy to some shit like that it, it breaks everybody back down. Right. You know, and like Josie, you know, has, has, has informed everyone on in the past about there's a stigma to that. Then when someone does it, you know, everyone starts questioning, am I next? Am I going to do that? Is that within me? Why did he do it? I would never have guessed that he did it, but right. It, 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 it doesn't have to be that way. Doing things like this, having guys like you, who's, you know, very senior to us as far as, you know, your experience in the, in the military goes and come on here and show vulnerability and say, look, motherfuckers, it's okay. You had so many guys underneath you that probably looked to you like you were some God of war almost like, you know, and we're super junior Marines to you. Right. If they listen to this and hear you say, you tell your story and talk about your, your shortcomings and things like that they're like, holy fuck, this guy was a, maybe a rock to me, you know, just the idea of you might've got somebody through a diff, a difficult situation. Now they can hear you talk about being a human right? and be like, well, fuck man, I'm human too. And it's okay. Like, I don't gotta be this fucking lean, mean fight machine all the time. Right. Um, and, and, and that's why I appreciate the podcast, man. Cause I, I'm hoping it creates more momentum for guys to really come on. Like if they're suffering, like, Hey, let's just, get on here and i hope the reunion's even much bigger next year because i plan on coming back 
I think Again, it will be. I think yeah. we're trying to drum up as much, you know, noise and talking to guys and just letting them know what a good time it, it was out there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we laughed. We all talked about it. Like after, we, we laughed so hard. Like, Dom is ridiculous <laughs> to begin with. But just when you get around each other and you can just start reminiscing and bringing up old <laughs> stories, it's just all of our faces hurt. Our stomachs were sore. Yeah. Like, it was just it's amazing and you just you 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 guys i was wondering where you guys went because after (laughs) i was wondering like because you guys took off and the next thing you know you guys are up in the company office freaking slamming beers and stuff like that i was like dude that was awesome you guys went up to the company office i was like where did they go man like where where did these guys go like you know like after we we walked in and everything (laughs) i was wondering where you guys went i said they probably went to go somewhere and get hammered sure enough you guys were upstairs yeah. In the company office drinking beer. We uh legend. We were exploring the company office and we actually ended up walking into the XO's office while he was in there on his computer and we're like, oh, what's going on, sir? We're like just checking the place out. We're all walking around with beers and shit. <laughs> and he was like, oh, you know, he was good to go about it. He was just like, All yeah. right, hope y'all have a you know had a good day and stuff and whatever. But yeah, we ended up they had you know, uh, you know, like the big battalion classroom used to be up in the upper area. That's kind of what this space was, but there was like a pool table, some beer nice. fridges in there. We did somebody, I think sheets left them like 50 bucks. Cause we drank a bunch of their beer that they had up there, but right. Anyway. No, but it, like that, that, that stuff is therapeutic, man. Like aside from, you know, I wanted to touch a little bit on that and also like, and I, and I'll get into like the, the social media stuff, the, the, the stuff that you talked about too, Josie, but I wanted to touch real quick on, you know, like going to stuff like that's very therapeutic, man, especially for guys. If you haven't seen them in years, you know, if they're listening to this podcast, like, come on out, man, you know what I'm saying? Come on out. And we love to see you and just hang out with you. I love to just chop it up more with different guys from two eight that were, you know, either in Oh three or Oh six or Oh nine or 11 or 13, like whatever, de- whatever deployment you were on during that time, like, you know, come on out. We'd love to do that. Um, I also found, you know, peace also in my faith as well, man. I wanted to touch on that real quick. Cause I know it's like, it's more of a, um, you know, another subject and stuff like that. But like, if, you know, I, I, after that deployment, after I kind of went down a dark path where I felt like, you know, there was no other way out, you know, and I was kind of drinking a lot and I was, um, you know, went through my divorce, you know, just, I was gaining a lot of weight. I was just unhappy, man, an unhappy guy, um, you know, found, found salvation, you know, in Christ and all that stuff, you know, started going down that route. Uh, things started getting better. Once I realized that, you know, once I made peace with God, then my biggest problem was solved. I realized, okay, now anything that I handle underneath that I can deal with, I can live with, you know, so what, like I fail at something, you know, who cares? You know what I'm saying? My biggest problem has been solved by coming to faith in Christ and, and, you know, knowing that that's squared away, I can handle and I can live with whatever I deal with in life, whether depression or like the things I was going through, like depression and anxiety and alcoholism and like just things that I was doing a lot that was unhealthy, like a lot of pornography watching and stuff like that. Like, I just didn't feel good about myself, man, for a while. And then once I got all that out of the way, I started to feel a lot better. And I think that's when that, that's part of it. That, that's part of healing. like spiritual healing is part of it. You know, getting around guys coming on the podcast. That's another part of it. Like all, there's all different connections that guys can go down um, that can help guys, you know, if they're hurting, you know what I'm saying? But that's just a little tidbit that I wanted to throw in there 
that, you know, if, if there are guys out there who, who, who feel like there's no way out, there's always a way out, man. You know, whether a phone call or, um, you know, we have all these outlets now with social media, you know, like there's really no excuse for guys not to say, Hey, I need help, you know, and I'm flying out, you know, to different places and hooking up with guys. Cause I'm on vacation, you know, I plan on hooking up with Dale in North Carolina again. When I go out August 1st, I'm going to be in North Carolina again with my daughter. So I plan on hooking up uh, with, with him and just, you know, showing love to that guy, man, because he's been through a lot. I heard his story. I mean, he's been through a lot, man. You know, so just showing him love, man, like on, on, on whatever aspect I can, like whatever, whatever way I can. Um, but getting back to the social media thing, Josie, like how you were talking about how social media has changed and how they, how, um, you know, the internet and everything and how, uh, like you talked about sock puppets and stuff like that, how like things like, uh, like, like Russia and how they were influencing a lot of the people, like how they influence America and how they were setting up like these false web personas and basically getting Americans to fight against each other, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, setting up rallies and the counter rallies to that and Americans were showing up and, and that's part of what, you know, part of being American is that we have those liberties where, you know, you can do that stuff. You know, but the Internet is definitely influencing a lot of people and, and the mind in particularly um, the media is not really concerned anymore about, you know, not, not so much concerned about veracity, but virality in a sense like accuracy is not what's important anymore. What's important is that something goes forward. And then, like you said, Josie, they can control the narrative and they can spin it how they want to spin it. So it leaves the door open for a lot of alternative truths and all these things where people can come in and nobody knows the truth, really. The truth is there, but it's buried underneath all these other alternative truths because, like I said, accuracy is not what's important anymore. So that's where, like, how the Internet has affected so many people, like during this last election, people fighting against each other. So I, there was times when I had to get off the Internet. And I know a lot of guys have deactivated their Facebooks because they're just tired of seeing the politics they're tired of seeing all that stuff, people fighting against each other. And a lot of that's designed specifically for that. You know what I'm saying, Joe? So like, I, I definitely agree with you guys on that, but um, go ahead. I was, I was gonna say this, I had a, I had a, uh, a friend who was doing some research and um, I think it was the Obama administration that ended up ending what they call the Smith-Munt um, Authorization Act, which basically was the United States government couldn't basically um, allow propaganda or conduct, you know, operations within American soil. But once that ban was lifted, um, it allowed the government and foreign influence to basically um, bombard Americans. Um, and that ban was lifted in 2012. And uh, let me, let me, I got to read this to you because I don't, you know, a lot of people be like, well, the CIA and, you know, these, you know, places aren't allowed to do this stuff. Well, this allows them to do it. And yeah, well, um, it's very, it's a, it's a small, short read, but it's very, very important, man. Um, hold on one moment. So the Smith Munt Modernization Act, buried in the 2012 National Defense Authorization Act, repealed the 1948 Smith Munt Act also known as the U.S. Information and Education Act. The Smith-Munn Act authorized the U.S. Department of State to engage in propagandizing foreign countries as a form of public diplomacy, information operations, but specifically forbade them from engaging in such activities 
within the continental United States. <clears throat> um, goes on to read the exclusion which protected the American people from federal information dissemination and diplomatic narrative shaping operations was removed in 2012 when the Smith Month Modernization Act was signed into law by President Obama. In effect, the SMMA not only allowed foreign propaganda to be disseminated on U.S. soil, but also gave Secretary of State Hillary Clinton the authority to authorize narrative dissemination and cognitive influence methods being utilized in the United States by our federal government for the very first time. Under the provisions of this act, the federal government is allowed to create propaganda tailored specifically for U.S. public consumption using any media as it sees fit while remaining right. anonymous as the source of the material being reported or reported. Narrative campaigns presented to the American people as news with an invisible seal of approval from the, from the American uh, federal government. This veiled narrative influence activity by the Department of State and Department of Public Affairs can only occur with corporate media's full complicity for which it is well compensated with U.S. tax dollars appropriated by the Smith Month Modernization Act. Well, and that's why things have gotten the way they have gotten. And, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse because I write about this no. stuff and, and I say it, but, you know, these are cognitive bullets. And for, for a very long time, I thought about coming up with a class action lawsuit against, you know, the GOP and the Democrats as a result of how they basically have been the, 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 the cause of this mental health crisis in the United States. Right. Like they are the reason, not just them, but they are in large part a huge reason why Americans are fighting amongst one another. These right. people that get paid six figure salaries telling Americans what to think on speculation, presuppositions, with right. no logical rationality. And, and what does it do? It, it gets people on the ground killed, everyday normal people on the ground killed. Right. Uh, so it's at you know it's at the heart of, of of everything, and you know I'm I'm not here to wake people up. Um, I'm you know, hopefully it educates the American public. You know, and, and I always say you know you got to watch the ideologues and you got to watch the ideology. If someone's trying to throw an agenda out at you, um, you got to question that. I don't care what tradition it comes from or what school of thought it comes from. Even even me right now saying this, you know, right. people have to go do their own research to find this stuff out. For sure. That's all from the DOD publications, you know, that's not, and yeah, the DOD can manipulate stuff too, but, you know, well, I think we're at that point now, that inflection point where it's like the United States government realizes that it's in a big, it's in a, it's in a bad spot between Russia, China, and all the lesser powers. I mean, our critical vulnerabilities within, you know, our cyberspace are fragile and people don't realize that we're one switch away from complete chaos. Right. Um, and, and one big thing I wanted to, to bring up, you know, is in the history of, uh, of humankind, wars have gotten less and less physically violent. Right. As far as how you interact with with the idea of killing a person. Right. You went from very up close and personal to now we're, we're using drones and, you know, long range precision fires to to target the enemy, which. Right obviously does a lot less damage to to an individual psyche because they're not 
up close and personal witnessing the right. brutality of war. So as time passes and technology advances, and if it is China who's our adversary in the next war, can we fight a war with with under trained, not capable, you know, in terms of, you know, a trench fighter, can I still right. kill somebody in another country, live with that and, and, you know, conduct business? Sure. But the problem that happens here is that once you, if, if we're, if we, you know, lose the war with China, what happens to our country? We're in shambles, right? Do are those people that fought the war through technology or whatever else it is, are they capable of picking up the pieces for, at that point and regrowing or 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 do you just get consumed at that point because you're so weak, you're so broken down, you have n- no one left that has ever, you know, fought up close and personal. You don't right. possess those skills. So that's my concern. Right. Is that is that if we get to a point where we're so weak in here, not not talking about fighting wars, not talking about fighting in Fallujah or or Afghanistan or anywhere else or Vietnam or fucking I'm talking about people that after there's nothing left and they're let here to pick the pieces up, are they gonna be strong enough to do that? That's my concern. I don't like Josie talks about if we can't think about can someone do and can these kids nowadays that are 18 and 19 go do what we did? I don't know. Maybe, probably some of them. Absolutely. Are they going to have to? Absolutely not. It's hmm. going to be so different. It's going to be so less personal. You right. don't have to be able to carry a, a fucking day pack with three or four days worth of shit in it and your full combat load. And it's not going to be like that. It's not even be right. Close. We don't and really, do 18 hour days in the hot sun and all yeah, that they're stuff. Not, like they're not, yeah. That was our war. That was our war. You know, everyone's yeah. different. And, you know, I think theirs is going to be so, just so, so different. We, we can't even fathom what it's going to be like. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree, man. Considering like the days like in World War II where, where, you know, it was like a two year buildup, like in the British Isles, you know what I'm saying? Before like they had what's called open source intelligence, like, the Germans know that it's coming. They don't know which beaches are going to be targeted, but they know it's coming. And these guys, obviously, World War II, I mean, that's the creme de la creme. I mean, those guys right. were the greatest generation ever. And contrast that to, you know, the Osama bin Laden raid. Look how quickly they found, like, this guy, like this Pakistani cafe owner is, you know, you know, um, out that night. And he sees these Blackhawks come in and he does what what's normal now to do people get online and they complain and he video you know records the blackhawks coming in taking out bin laden and just look how fast and mm-hmm. you know technology has has come since then and now like yeah. that's going to be the war in the future man it's basically going to be um everything's going to be like 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 you said man like you know drones and stuff like that where well, it is and, have- you know not not to cut you off but you got to no, think go like what what did we utilize in combat what do we always do, right? We do psyop shit, right? So we before we even go in there, we start we start messing with them. We start getting in their heads, you know, right. whatever it is, telling them we're coming, dropping leaflets, saying, you know, we're gonna wipe this place down. If you're here, you're dead. You right. Start instilling fear in people, right? What if 
everything that's going on right now is a psyop against us. Mm. It, it is. is. It is. It 100% is, but it's just a silent one. It's not a guy in a Humvee blaring Metallica through your village letting you know there's about to be chaos coming through. Right. Like, yeah, we did that. Yeah, we definitely you, did that. Exactly, right? Yeah, so with the speakers and everything, yeah. So, but they knew. That's out on Front Street. That's horny on Main. That's me telling you this is what's going to go down, right? But what if everything that's been going on the past few years has been China's silent psyop against us to deteriorate us before anything even happens, right? Right. Yeah. No, I, I think about that. And I mean, you guys are spot on, man, with that stuff. And and just, no, I, I totally agree 100%. I think about that too, man. You know, Yeah, it's, sure. it's scary. And that's why we talk about, you know, we like to have, we like to have discussions about this kind of stuff because I think, you know, the more you can, you can kind of change the way somebody's thought process is, you can start helping, helping them, you know, protect, Get more educated, protect yeah. their headspace, protect your yeah. mental space. We all do it. We're on the internet. We're on socials. We're doing this stuff. We're subjecting ourselves to what's happening. But if you're aware of it, that, that is a line of, of defense, right? the stuff you want to choose to believe or not believe or question the sources of where things are coming from, just like you're talking about. And we've, we've gone on for hours off, off, you know, Mike about this, about how there's so much information and it's so diluted now that everyone's opinion on something is, is formulated for them. They get to pick and choose exactly right. where they stand on a subject and they can speak to you about it. Like it's fact, because I have these sources where I read it from. Well, none right. of this information is vetted. Where's the real research on this? You know, right. it, it's it's just so washed out that it's just like, you know what? Pick and choose and decide who you want to be and what you want to believe in. But if you if you start attacking someone else's existence based on your your bullshit, like that's that's where it needs to stop because no one's right. You know, right. we're all right in our own minds. So Who's really right. right? When, why does right. it matter who's right or who's wrong? Like, look, can we not just be decent people to each other? You yeah. Know? I mean, that's yeah. what it, and that's yeah. just, that's yeah, what man. it is, man. And it's, it's a sad thing. Cause just like Josie had said, and like kind of why this whole thing is got spun up into what it is, is that people, when someone's already struggling with something and then you have, you have, this feeling like you're just being attacked on all fronts for just being who you are or being different than someone that does right. not, that does not bode well for somebody that's dealing with, you know, a trauma or, or, or maybe a physical brain injury that's causing them to behave differently. Like, and that's a lot of our guys, unfortunately, you know? Yeah. That, so, um, but yeah, I just, I don't know, man. Well, it leads no, you're to, spot on, bro. It leads to, uh, it leads to a lot of the more revisionistic histories, right? Like the QAnon phenomenon. Like, you know, if anyone's listening to this right now, and I see it on, on Facebook, on my timeline with people that support QAnon, you know, that that is a conspiracy, right? And, and I know with the CIA created the word conspiracy, and I know that you can't fight narrative warfare with counterfacts because it's not about the facts it's about the meaning but the the point being is that when we have this much division it leads to pathways into darker places 
Right. And that's why you see, I, I don't really think, you know, either January 6th is a questionable event, you know, what happened. Um, but right. who was represented, you know, who was represented there? Veterans were. Why? You know, why? Well, when you look at classical psychological operations or conspiracies, you know, it's, 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 it's a psychological event. People find their meaning and their place within this larger narrative and allows right. you to assimilate. And that's very dangerous to us because what does that do? It paints a, a picture about who we are and what we represent and how we go about things. So it just makes us that much more fringe. And the more fringe that we become, you know, you treat a motherfucker like an animal for so long, well, guess what? They're going to become a fucking animal. And we have to be aware of that. And I see that happening all the time on social media. That's why, I, you know, it's not my place to say something, you know, but whenever it starts affecting people that happen to lose somebody in the war and you keep perpetuating it, then it becomes a fucking problem. Um, and, you know, I just warn guys to really vet It becomes problematic, yeah. Yeah, and just vet your information. If you feel some type of emotional response to a particular piece of information, question question why you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, it's a... It's a, t- it's a tough one, man. Yeah, it really is. But, you know, if if this can do any good for any individual, then it's worth it. You know, Um, just as far as, you know, letting people know we're all still here. We're all still human. We all still care about each other, you know. Yeah. Um, And not we don't go go ahead. Right. I think the big thing for like the stuff you guys are hitting on, like it really makes me think like there's always going to be evil in the world. There's always going to be people that are going to do harm, man. That's just the way it is. That's just human nature. So, you know, I'm just hoping that, that, um, you know, this next generation that's coming up is ready for whatever, for whatever they face. Um, You know, it always seems like there has to be like this great reset where like all this evil rises and it has to be dealt with so that everything can start over again. Kind of like the time when Hitler was, was, you know, during World War One, you know, when, you know, um, the Germans were basically blamed for the First World War and, you know, the Versailles Treaty and all that stuff. And then, you know, they lose territory and, and they have to pay reparations and all that stuff. And then you have a, 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 a pissed off Hitler sitting in jail in 1925, writing Mein Kemp, My Struggle, basically you know, building up all that animosity for, for, for the fact that Germany did lose the war and, you know, rising to power in 1933 and then basically doing what he did, you know, and rising up that whole country and then basically initiating the second world war, you know, in Danzig, you know, shooting off into Poland and starting all that again and us getting involved again, having to do what we had to do to take out the evil again. The only difference now is that it's like Josie said, it's, it's being tackled differently. Now we're seeing different things because they didn't have internet back then. None of that mm-hmm. stuff's going on now. They're doing it differently now. And Josie, you and I talked about that book, Like War by, by Singer and Brooking, right? Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a lot of that stuff, how, how they're using like the internet to basically, like you said, bro, uh, smoke screen everything. And then when we feel like our, you know, when we're down, that's when they're going to freaking hit, bro. Mm-hmm. They're going to get America to the point where we hate each other so much, where we're living in the days of like, utter tribalism man like everyone's had their own yeah. tribe you know yeah. what happened to one nation under god man what happened to that you know why do we go over there and fight for other countries bro because we yeah. want them to have what we have 
You know what I'm saying? Not necessarily imposing our beliefs on them, whether Christianity or whatever, but just to have the basic freedoms, bro. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like to have like, you know, what we have when you, when, you know, like every day when I get up in the morning, like I'm able to look outside and the sun's out and I can go for a long ass run, bro. I can, I can smell the air and I can see the animal. I can see the cows. I can text, like you can see horses and everything. That's beautiful to me. And mm-hmm. like, that's just basic stuff that a lot of these countries don't have, man. You know, so um, I know, but you know it, what? It, and, and most guys that have been through, you know, circumstances like we have do appreciate life in that same manner. But so many, sure. so many people just have had the wool pulled over their eyes and they live in these bubbles that they don't they don't know how good they have it. And and the, the biggest the most frustrating thing to me is just like, you know, just like just like you were saying, if we if we do have this great reset, right? If it, because it does happen, you're hundred percent correct on that. Right. If we're on the losing side of that. Okay. And there's no winner or loser in war, but if we're on the losing side of it, that means everything that our brothers and our, in, in our fellow Americans that have ever died for to, for this country is all for nothing. Yeah. Right. If we let it fall, if we, if we do this and, and just keep looking the other way and let it fall, that means all of their sacrifices for nothing. Right. And we, and we didn't even attempt to try to do anything to prevent it. So, yeah. And, 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 you know, it, it means something to us. For sure. Obviously, obviously it does. That's, that's who we are. But does it, does it, does it mean anything to someone who's never been faced with any real kind of challenge in their life? Right. They I don't, don't think about that stuff. I don't know. Yeah. They may, yeah. I don't know how their brain works. So yeah, man, like I said, I, I try to live my life, you know, for what everything, you know, like for the guys that didn't come back, man, like be an example for them, for my kid, like, you know, everywhere we go, no matter what branch you served in, man, like if you're telling someone I was in the army, I was in the Navy, I was in the Marine Corps, whatever, like you're representing the United States, like this younger generation, like they're watching you in your every day-to-day life, man. So you're like, and not only that, but to live for the guys that didn't come back, like we're basically living for them, man. That's what they wanted, right? I mean, exactly. Just like you said, if you're somebody that was willing, you know, that's all it takes is enough people that are willing. doesn't matter what you did. Were you willing? Was right. the, was the intent there to ask, what can I do? Right. Right. And, and that's what matters. Um, but we don't know. And I, and I feel like maybe every, every generation that's, that's had their war and was enough time removed from it probably had this same thought process. Like, can they do it? could they do right. it right and the answer until this point has always obviously been yes the ability and 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 willingness was there but we just don't know and and times are getting scary and like you said technology and all this stuff is just making making the the water much much more cloudy and harder to see yeah. through. so um but yeah man heavy stuff man Stop, it really sure. is. I don't, you know, all the hypotheticals are kind of, you know, I'll get myself into a funk thinking what's in store, but can't live a day to day like that. Right. Still got to live. So you got, you got your faith, keeping your head straight. Right. What else, what else do you do? I know you're, you like to PT like crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I started shooting with a buddy of mine named uh, Jacob. He, he was, um, he's a really good guy. Like, he, he goes out to the range a lot 
I, I try to get out and shoot when I can. I try to run a lot because it helps the breathing, helps release the endorphins, all that stuff, you know, release all that stuff. Um, you know, try to give back to the community. Um, you know, just try to be a, a, an every day to day good American, man. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if I see someone, you know, like a homeless person that looks hungry, just go buy them a, a $5 pizza or something, you know, like just something like that. Where like, I'm not so much about myself. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, uh, as far as my faith, like it, it, it's, I won't touch on it too much. Cause like, it's totally different, you know, you know, thing. Um, um, it, it's, like when I see this earth that we're on, you know, we're like in this like Orion arm of the Milky Way galaxy. You know what I'm saying? Like we're in this little dot in this galaxy surrounded by billions of stars. And then you got like Andromeda, which is like the next galaxy. And then like, that's not even the tip of the iceberg compared to like the Laocani supercluster, all these freaking big stars, like these big planets and these big stars, like UI Scuti and Candice Majoris, like these this is so such a big universe. And here we are trapped in this little dot. And we're living on this earth, a bunch of humans. You know what I'm saying? Like, why can't we all recognize that, hey, you know, this is part of a bigger, you know, bigger universe. Why can't we all just love each other and get and share the earth? You know what I'm saying? Like, just share the earth. Why does there have to be war all the time? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, what, what, what do you have to, you know, uh, it just it just blows my mind when I think about it, like from that aspect. So like I get up and try to be an everyday good, good dude, man, good father. Yeah. I've had my ups and downs. I mean, you know, who doesn't deal with the vicissitudes of life, right? I mean, everyone has to deal with ups and downs. That's just life. But how do you handle the stuff when you're knocked down? It's like Rocky. Like, I don't know if you've seen that Rocky bubble. I'm sure you have when he's talking to his son, he's like, life hits you hard. You get knocked down but it's how you get back up. It's how hard you can get hit and get back up. And that's basically been our lives, man, whether through combat tours, whether you go through divorce or whatever you're struggling with demons that you're struggling with, you know, I would encourage anyone listening to this podcast, man, to don't give up, man. Like there's, you got bros who love you. You got, you know, a God who loves you. Um, and that's basically it, man. You know, that's basically, you know, going to be like, you know, the last few chapters, maybe I'll decide to get married again. Hopefully. I mean, I kind of had, I've kind of struggled in that department, you know, as far as like settling down again, after whatever happened with, I kind of focused on my kid and really wanted to set her up. So like, I didn't want to start over again and start another family. I felt like I needed to finish what I started with her and just give her a hundred percent, bro. Like make sure she was doing the right things, doing her homework. Um, just being that good dad for her, man. You know what I'm saying? So that's basically it. Now that I'm in my forties, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, I need to finally start thinking about settling down again, you know, getting white hairs and all this stuff, you know, like, but I hear forties, get all the shorties, you know what I'm saying? When you're in your forties, you get all the way, you know, like, I don't know, man. It's like, you got it, man. Get all the shorties. You still got it, man. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I do a lot of that, a lot of exercise, um, you know, all that stuff, man. I, I, I love my church family. Um, you know, um, they're always there for me. I can always lean on them. Um, you know, we haven't, the church as a body, the church really hasn't been through anything like, like serious as far as like what, like brotherhood, like, you know, like brothers in arms that go through like combat kinetic warfare, like that bond is deep, bro. It's deep. It's so deep. So that's why, like, when I get around guys like you, you know, guys like you guys, it's just like, 
the 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 excitement is like it's it's great like it's it's just like it's almost like there's no weird judgments there's no there's no none of that it's just like we're there and like no you don't feel that difficult like you don't feel like you're tripped out like you're just around bros you know what i'm saying it's so easy just to relate you yep. and uh so so that's that's what i feel about when it comes to that and, and and like i said i'm glad you guys invited me on the podcast and i hope this really resonates with a lot of people who are going to be listening i hope more and more people are compelled to come on man because you guys are man you guys are smart man you really are like people think like grunts are just like a bunch of dumb as bad waivers that just freaking you know like we're we're considered like the bastards of the military like yeah you're just a dumb crown even like no man a lot of the guys that i served with were freaking smart guys man like next level like you have to be smart if you're going to be in charge of a bunch of guys in a combat zone you know what i'm saying like to me that's the greatest honor a man can have like you're a leader in a combat zone you're you're in charge of millions of dollars worth of equipment you're responsible for the lives of men you know what i'm saying that takes a lot bro that takes yeah. a lot and and it's it's taxing physically mentally spiritually so like hats off to you guys, man. Like, like you guys are, to me, you guys are awesome, man. Your next level badasses in my book. You know what I'm saying? For sure. Likewise, brother, much respect for you, man, for sure. And that's something Josie always, he taught me that he said a grunt, a grunt's the smartest motherfucker. <laughs> it doesn't matter what yeah. you say. Just, just, just like you said, I mean, so, but yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us and, um, Hopefully, like you said, some guys, maybe some guys that you haven't heard from in a while can will hear about it and tune in and listen to what you had to say and hopefully reach yeah. out and reconnect because it's always good to do that. And Yeah, and I just wanted to say real quick, so is this pretty much open to anybody, like anyone that served? Or, I mean, I know it's not necessarily 2A, but like if there are guys like, I got bros that were in Phantom Fury, like I got guys that were, you know, and, and you know, guys that I know that were in the first goal for, like anybody's kind of open to this yeah, kind of stuff. No, like I, I I have no problems with anybody anybody wanting to come on if they feel like they got something they want to share, you know. Doesn't matter what unit you were in or or what what right. you know. Um it just started as two eight centric because it's us and right. you know we, we we're tired of seeing guys um, get hurt, get killed, do that. Yeah, so, suicide. But you know, there's there's a lot of other units in the Marine Corps just like us. And you know, if if they sure. can if if this can spark a fire for somebody else, get them on here. And yeah, and, man, you know, I think we really need to start fighting back, bro, because media really been taken over a lot of by media and stuff. It's almost like they're preparing all these people for war and stuff like that. You know, they need to hear good reality check, bro, you know, from 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 stuff like this, like just basically like kind of realigning, you know, yourself with yourself again, you know, kind of stuff like it's good stuff, man. It really is. I really appreciate it, bro. I really do. Good stuff, man. Thank you for coming on. Take care. Keep in, uh, keep in touch with us. You got our numbers. Yeah. So, and no, we'll, we'll, we'll hit, hit me up when, you, when you're in NC, man. Hit me up when you're in NC. No, I am, bro. I, I'll be there in August. Um, I'll be checking in. I'm going to hit some bros up and I'll, I'll hit you up personally. And, you know, maybe we can get some chow and just kind of talk about more what, what, what you're into, like kind of point me in the right direction to the books you've been, you know, reading up. Like I said, I, I'd like to get more involved in that if, if I could. I got a whole list, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Good stuff, man. Take care. All right, dudes. Take it easy, bros. Yep. Love you. All right, man. Love you guys too. Bye-bye. Love you all, man.